a high stakes card game, dangerous beautiful women, the world's greatest spy, all this can only mean one thing. We're comparing Casino Royale on this episode of Retro vs. Remake. Reggie Parker. And I'm Dan Bulick. Welcome to another episode of Retro vs. Remake. Remake. This is the series where we take original movies and compare them to their remakes. Join us as we answer the question, should this remake exist? Today's films are Casino Royale. Let's get right into it. Casino Royale, originally made in 1967, starring David Niven, Peter Sellers, Ursula Andress, Joanna Petit, Woody Allen, Barbara Boucher, Talia Alavi, Terrence Cooper, Deborah Kerr, Jacqueline Bissett, and Orson Welles. Directed by Ken Hughes, John Huston, Joseph McGrath, Robert Parrish, Val Guest, and Richard Talmadge. For those keeping count, that is a total of six directors. I believe, Reggie, that is the largest number of directors we've had working on a single film. We will certainly talk about that later. Screenplay by Wolf Mankowitz, John Law, and Michael Sayers. Music by... Burt Bacharach? <laughs> it is. It is by Burt Bacharach. Sorry. Anyway, the other film, Casino Royale, 2006, starring Daniel Craig, Eva Green, Mads Mikkelsen, Judy Dench, Jeffrey Wright, Giancarlo Gianni, Simon Epkarian, Katarina Marino, and Ivana Milosevic. Directed by Martin Campbell. For those keeping count, one director. Screenplay by Neil Purvis, Robert Wade, and Paul Haggis. Music by David Arnold. And this isn't so much a retro versus a remake as it is two films based on the same source material. They're both based on the 1953 novel Casino Royale by Ian Fleming, of course, the James Bond author. And for those unaware, this is James Bond's first novel. So... Reggie, what is your first experience with either film? The remake I saw um, around the time it came out. If I didn't see it in theaters, it was pretty pretty close to after release. It was a big deal, you know, just for context in this podcast. I'm a James Bond fan, mostly uh, the Sean Connery years, which, I mean, unfortunately, rest in peace, when we picked this movie, we didn't know Sean Connery was going to pass, but that has happened. And, um, yeah, at the at the time we're doing this podcast, he actually passed away a week ago, and you know, yeah, losing a legend like that always hurts. Yeah, but I guess in uh, some ways, I guess our timing is is good that we can talk about sort of his work in uh, the James Bond universe itself. But yeah, Sean Connery to me was like the original James Bond that I knew because I've seen Doctor No from Russia with Love, all of his movies. I wasn't as big on the Brosnan and the the Moore Bond universe, but um. When Daniel Craig took over the reins, it was a big deal because this franchise was coming back into the forefront. And um, I remember everyone being really excited about that film. You know, we'll talk about the results at the end of the podcast. And in terms of the original movie, 
uh, this is my first time. Um, I had heard about it. I heard that it was a little bit different, to say the least. So uh, this is my first time actually seeing that. Mm-hmm. I also had seen the 2006 film. I didn't see it in theaters, but I, I think I remember renting it on Netflix. Pretty sure when uh, Netflix only did the disc-based thing. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, let me check out the new James Bond. Unlike you, I'm not really, uh, I guess I'll call myself a Bond head. I'm not necessarily that. I've only seen Pierce Brosnan. I've seen a couple of those, and I've seen a couple of the Daniel Craig ones. I have never seen any of the James. I have never seen any of the Sean Connery films. I know I'm a terrible person. (laughs) I've never seen any Sean Connery Bond films. So I'm not necessarily um, knowledge in the world of James Bond, especially the early James Bond around the time the original film came out. Um, and I had also never seen the original film. Um, you can attest to that because uh, I had to text Reggie several times to make sure I was watching the correct Casino Royale for this podcast. I was like, wait, so it's the one that came out this year. Yep. Wait, 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 wait. It's the one starring this person and this person. Yeah. I, I was so unsure I was right watching the right film. And we'll get into more details why that is. But yeah, I, I am not well versed in the world of James Bond. And I, I, I just never really got into that whole spy thing. It's it, it's very similar to Batman, but like for some reason, Batman always resonated with me more in my youth. But I think now that I'm an older gentleman, right. um, I might uh, dig a little bit deeper into the Bond universe. Yeah, and just to kind of jump in for a second, like uh, the Brosnan Bond, which like, you know, I've seen the movies, I guess, but like that particular set of Bond never really spoke to me, even though that was the Bond when I was growing up. Like Sean Connery was Bond in my book and uh, Brosnan was a little too slick and high tech for me. Whereas, like, Sean Connery had this different approach, which is more kind of the one-on-one, the smooth talker, punch a guy if he had to. (laughs) It was fun. Mm -hmm. Um, And in some ways, uh, you know, as we go through this, I think the Daniel Craig version of this is actually closer to uh, Connery in some ways. I mean, we'll get into Mm -hmm. this. Then Brosnan, in my opinion, and I think as we go, we'll talk about whether or not that works. Interesting. Yeah, my first exposure to Bond was actually Goldeneye. And I saw that in theaters, my babysitter actually took me. I didn't want to go. <laughs> I had no interest in it. And I do remember, like, not necessarily liking Bond. I thought he was a little too pompous. I thought he was a little too, like, arrogant and just yeah. able to get away with everything on, on an unreasonable level. Like, he shouldn't be able to get away with That was with my that. problem so, with Brosnan uh, films. <laughs> yeah, so, like, I didn't really get turned on to Bond because maybe Goldeneye was my first one. I definitely had more sympathy for um, the other actor. Not Roger the, uh, No, 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 no. The, the, the other actor in Goldeneye, um, he was in uh, Game of Thrones. Uh, Sean, Sean... I'm not going to be able to help you in here. I'm sorry. Did you ever see Game of You saw Game of Thrones, right? Yeah, I have. Um, yeah, Ned oh, Stark, Sean, Ned Stark. Sean, uh... Bean? Bean? Sean Bean, Sean Bean, yeah, yeah. I had more sympathy for Sean Bean's character, the 006 character he played, um, who had trouble that he couldn't live up to 007, and I totally related to him a lot more. So that, that's my journey with Bond. I just wanted to throw that out. All right, I've been a Sean Bean fan since uh, Goldeneye. I didn't li- I liked him more than Pierce Brosnan. That's, I'll just say that. That's fair. And I think that that's actually the strength of the Bond universe as we kind of go through this episode, is that if you talk to, I don't know, 100 different people, they're going to be very split on who James Bond is 
for them. You know, for mm-hmm. some people it's Craig, for some people it's Brosnan, for some people right. it's Roger Moore, for some people it's uh it's Connery. You know, and um, mm-hmm. I fell in the Connery camp, but uh, you know, over time, you know, we'll talk about how each Bond really shapes up as we talk about these films. Yeah, I feel like for a lot of people, it's their first Bond is the Bond. Correct. Um, going back to Batman again, for a lot of people, like the the Batman is the first Batman. Like a lot of people I talk to who I grew up with, it's like Michael Keaton mm. is still their Batman because that was our first Batman. Sure. Yeah, Christian Bale did a great job. A lot of people like what Ben Affleck did, but a lot of people still be like, oh yeah, yeah. because of what Some Michael people Keaton like did. <laughs> Some people, okay. <laughs> I think more people like him as Bruce Wayne than Batman <laughs> when they bring up the Clooney argument. Anyways, these are very different films. We are going to discuss that. But before we do that, let's, of course, do what we always do and just go over a brief, very brief, and very broad synopsis here. Here we go. James Bond is a spy working for the British intelligence MI6. He is instructed of a new target, Le Shreef, a man who deals with finances of criminal organizations. Bond will be aided by Agent Bond will be aided by Agent Vesper. At first, the two seem at odds, but love does bloom. The plan is to get all of the sheep's money in a high-stakes card game. At first, it seems like Bond will lose, but he ultimately prevails. After the game, Bond and Vesper are kidnapped by the sheep's men. Bond is tortured, but ultimately saved by the men whose money the sheep lost. They murder the sheep and let Bond and Vesper go. Things seem to be well, but there is betrayal as Vesper turns on Bond. Ultimately, Vesper dies, and each movie ends their own respective ways. The end. Now, I am very surprised I was able to come up with that much in common. These are two very different films. And usually, lately, we've been starting with character comparisons, but I think we just have to talk about just how different these two films are and i think we should just get into their completely different genres off the bat um the 1967 film is a spy parody while the 2006 film is pretty much an action driven thriller and like i said before the original film has six different directors so I think we'll get into that a little bit as we describe the genre of each of these films. So, where do you want to start? Do you want to talk about the remake first, just because it is straightforward as to what that is? Because I feel like we're going to talk a lot about what they had original film, or the 67 film. Yeah, I mean, we could talk about the remake in the sense that um, it's it's pretty true to the source material. Like, it's probably as close as you can make a film in 2006 that is like referential to um that original novel i mean like it is pretty much playing that story to a t with you know some modernization to make it fit into you know the 2000s landscape but um when i was watching the original you know they described like the film is suggested by (laughs) the ian fleming again playing into that parody sort of thing so instead of said based off they said suggested by and I think that's as close as they could actually get because um, <laughs> th- there's moments in that original that reference the novel, but like this remake just does, you know, it's, it's the story of James Bond, his first mission 
first big mission, really, at the Casino Royale. It's almost like I want to flip it. Like, I, I know, like, you're like, we, we don't want to go too heavy into the original, but, like, I mean, for me, the remake, I, I'll start here. And tonally, I think, let's let's start there, right? Right. So, tonally, this remake starts extremely gritty and not only referencing the original sort of the Connery years or the Roger Moore years, even Brosnan, like you said, the sort of hyper slick, hyper techie bond that sort of evolved. This film really got back into grit and like changing the genre itself. So let's put it this way. Although the satire film is trying to poke fun at what the genre became, this film said, all right, this genre's gotten a little out of hand. Let's bring this back into the real world. And you get this awesome uh, black and white sequence where James Bond, he's confronting a double agent, more or less, and he's saying, you know, you're selling secrets on the side. And he's going through, in a really smart way, how someone becomes a double O, like a, a 007. You know, he's basically describing that, like, to become a 007, you have to have two confirmed kills on your, uh, on your record. And the double agent that he's talking to is like, well, you know, you never killed anybody. He's like, well, <laughs> actually, <laughs> I killed your contact. He's like, how did he die? Badly. And it's true. Like, he, there, that's one of the best fight sequences I think uh, I've seen that had, like, little consequence. Like, it's black and white. They're fighting in a toilet. They're breaking walls. And, like, things, things are breaking. And he's smashing this guy's head into a sink. And it's a very realistic, visceral fight. And, uh, like, you know, we're kind of used to, uh, if you're a Bond fan, we're kind of used to, like, a shitty karate chop if it's Sean Connery. Or you're used to Brosnan, like, you know, I don't know, zapping somebody, right? <laughs> and, like, here's James Bond getting down and dirty, choking people out, getting bloody, getting uh, messed up. And that's, it was such a departure that I, I think that, that totally we do have to reference that. That was not really what I think a lot of people were expecting from a James Bond film, and this film just ripped the band-aid off the top and said, we're going there. Yeah. How'd you feel about absolutely. that? Absolutely. No, no. You're absolutely right. Just reading what they wanted to do when they reinvented Bond. So this is the first Daniel Craig Bond after the last Pierce Brosnan Bond, and they wanted to definitely get away from all that high-tech, a lot of CGI. I don't know. Just uh, I'll put it this way. It became hyper slick hyper like a lot of the focus got away from the man you know like mm -hmm. uh you know in some ways this original does uh in its own way make some points about basically anybody could be james bond and like the spies more or less got into what like the movies started to become what's the most like high tech crazy like way to hide a weapon or like make your car invisible or you know mm -hmm. You're, you're in an iceberg, but it's a submarine. Like, it, it got absurd, right? And this mm -hmm. movie was like, stop. Like, who is James right. Bond? Who is the man? And by going to the original film, like his original mission, it allows you to still live in a universe where Bond gets more high-tech as he goes. Mm -hmm. But this is like the... This is step one. It's like, you're fighting a guy in the fucking bathroom because, <laughs> you know, you, you're no one's going to give you secret spy stuff yet. You're, you're right. unproven. Yeah. There's no high-tech gadgets. There's not a pen that's actually like a laser that'll help him out later. There's actually none of that. His car, like you said, doesn't turn visible or anything. The most high-tech it really gets is like his car does come equipped with some things that could help him out later. Maybe some of the computer, 
you know, the hacking that they do can kind of like help them keep track. There's there's a tracking device that gets put into his arm, sure. but there's not necessarily any technology, you know, that helps Bond kind of get the edge in any situation that he's in. It's a, like you said, it's, and we use this word a lot, it's a lot of grit. There's a very gritty physical Bond that you're not really accustomed to because Bond is usually that guy who just comes in with his, you know, his tuxedo and his martini in his hand and kicks a bunch of guys' asses by pushing a button on his watch. This is not that Bond. This Bond is going to get in your face. He's going to get bloody. He's going to get bruised. He's going to heal really quickly. Um, But he's, you know, he's still really gritty. You know, it's a very, we've used this also before, it's a very born you know, action-y movie. And uh, I, I'll bring them up again, but they, they definitely went to, like, Batman Begins to where they wanted to go by kind of rebooting Bond. They wanted this more gritty, realistic Bond. And you could definitely feel it because it's so not reliant upon any of the technology or anything. Yeah, and the choice to make the first scene in black and white, to me, felt like a, a strong choice, right? Because... Again, for audience at the time, because I remember watching this at the time, you're sitting there like, all right, what, like, what are we going to get from this? this is, these are big shoes to fill, by the way. I need to start there as well. The fact that, like, anytime you pick a new Bond, everyone's, like, criticizing that pick. You know, Sean Connery's Scottish. She's not really British. Pierce is, you know, like, uh, doesn't necessarily look like, you know, the way Bond's described in the books and stuff like that. So there's always criticism. And Daniel Craig being sort of like this blonde, sort of blue-eyed mm-hmm. Bond, which is unusual. Like, that's not who James Bond is. But, like, right. in this moment... The tall, dark, and handsome thing. He didn't feel the tall, he didn't feel the dark thing. So, no. it was there was a lot of protest. That's one of the things I remember when this film came out. Just so much protest. And people are very particular about their Bonds. They're very sacred about this franchise, which we will get into with uh, the original. But, um, you know, this, this black and white scene and, like, this grit... And then to have Bond sitting there and saying, like, he's got the upper hand on his double agent. He took his magazine of his gun. Uh, the, the gun is empty. And, he, and the guy's like, well, you know, you got me. But, hey, killing people's not that easy. You know, the first one, uh, you know, is tough. The second one, it, and before the guy can even finish the sentence, <laughs> bam, bam, double tap. You're done. Like, killed you. And, um. And then so smooth, Dan Craig's like, considerably. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, okay, there's the smooth guy here. Right. But also, like, this guy's going to throw a punch. He might get knocked out in, like, um, I mean, not knocked out per se, but, like, he's got to bleed for it. Like, he'll be chasing you through the streets Mm -hmm. of uh, Madagascar. You know, he'll get his ass kicked in a a, um, staircase and, you know, just, you know, just edge it out dive into his car you know we'll get into all the action but like that's this bond gets his hands dirty in a Mm -hmm. way that bond had not done really at any point in the franchise and it was it was a deliberate choice and a choice that um as we go through it i think pays off in a in a lot lot of ways yeah he's there's a lot of long action sequences in this 2006 film absolutely like i feel like maybe they're a little long yeah but um, there's a lot of them, and uh, but he's still able to kind of retain that gentleman spy mm-hmm. at the end of the day, yeah. right? He'll have to kill some guy, be all bloodied up, but still be like, yes, dear, just uh, just another martini or something, you know? So it, it definitely captures the essence of Bond, but it ha- it's definitely a more physical 
Bond at the end of the day. And, you know, this is definitely a reboot mm -hmm. of uh, what Pierce Brosnan did. And, you know, you have to do something new. You need to do something different. And they absolutely established that while still staying true to the character overall is what I would say. It's true because, um, you know, a lot of the aspects of Bond are there, which is, you know, the perfectly tailored suit. He's smooth. Mm -hmm. Ladies are right. instantly attracted to him no matter, like, yeah. what's going on. He'll tell you how he wants his martini. In this case, maybe he won't tell you how he wants his martini. But he'll order a drink that everybody else wants to order. Yeah, it's like, yeah uh, I'll have a say, man. <laughs> uh, I won't have a say. Are we through yet? <laughs> yeah. And uh, what's really interesting about him is that though he breaks all the rules of the Bond universe, he actually, in a lot of ways, is very purely a James Bond, which is, this guy's not keeping any secrets at all. <laughs> like... <laughs> like he, he's very the, archer of him yeah <laughs> just kind of like come out like i'm a spy did you know i'm a spy you want to have sex i'm a spy yeah <laughs> it's like he is the world's most famous spy which means he's the worst spy <laughs> in the world you know if we want to kind of start breaking into the original a little bit i think what that original 1967 film is trying to do is in effect what this 2006 movies trying to do which is to turn this genre on his head and say okay what what works here what doesn't work mm -hmm. here and um the 1967 film is mostly referencing the connery years and mostly representing not only the fact that look if james bond got popular other films were gonna you know take this formula and i'm sure there's other movies that they're referencing this time because uh, i imagine it was lucrative to make spy films so the 1967 film tries to throw Bond on its head and uh, you know we can talk about that a, a, a little bit I think. Yeah we can do that. I just wanted to throw in one thing uh, about the 2006 film. Um, just you can kind of get away with also with just like how different it is just because it is necessarily it's, it is Bond year one. Right. This is early Bond. Yeah. This is him kind of earning his double O status yep. like you said before. So they have a lot more leeway than I feel like than you would have if you were like if this was Pierce Brosnan's necessarily fifth film, like you wouldn't be able to get away with it. So having a reboot, just making it the first Bond adventure, it's year one. Okay, so he's not going to be so tech savvy. He's going to be a little more, you know, physical. He's going to be a little more of an egomaniac <laughs> necessarily on certain things. So they really set, they kind of covered all the grounds and they did it well. So I'll just, I'll just leave it at that with that one but yeah going to the 67 film it's a very different take on bond because not only are we sort of you know staying away there were four bond films before this casino royale so like you said you had, this you had Doc, this casino you had dr okay, no ahead. you had from russia with love you had goldfinger and at this point i believe you also had thunderball yeah yep those are the main so, ones. Those are the four ones that came up before this one. So this is absolutely a response to that. But the way they decided to do this is James Bond might not have been those James Bonds. This James Bond is already retired and kind of sick of this, this kind of reputation that James Bond has. That he is this amazing spy that constantly sleeps with women and then everybody dies <laughs> so he's kind of over that and he doesn't like that 
his name is kind of tarnished. And he's like, who are these imposters that you have taking my name, sleeping with all these women, and leaving a trail of dead bodies after him? That's not what a real spy is. So it's almost a commentary on that. Mm -hmm. Almost. It's so close to be. It's so close. But it leans a little more heavy on the parody, where it's that point is it's moot (laughs) after a while because yeah yeah i i would say that my take on that is that um you know you have this uh sort of i guess would you say like the sir james bond like the the lord james bond as it were who is like your og retired bond doesn't want to be bothered he's he's got a huge mansion he's got lions he wants to listen to the the bussy or whatever (laughs) Um, Debussy, Debussy is yeah. a very famous composer. You should know that if you went to school for music. You didn't. I did. Right. I know that. <laughs> and, and you know, you know, even uh, referencing Debussy, they're making uh, they're making some jokes there too, uh, as well. But like, he is basically what you would expect from a spy, I guess, in in the sense that like the way he handled himself throughout his career, right? Versus, like, you're mentioning these newer spies that are just, it's all gadgets and girls. And um, mm-hmm. he, he's trying to say that, like, what happened to, you know, being a spy? Like you said, it, it could work if that was the central sort of commentary of the film. But like mm-hmm. you mentioned, as it got into parody, to be honest, the movie really became what it was commenting about. So I wasn't really sure what the point was once they got there, right? They're like, okay, you've got your sort of lordly James Bond of, of old, but then you spend a significant amount of time trying to kind of put him through this phalanx of uh, of women, you know? And when Sean Connery died, just for reference, uh, I was like, I'm going to watch From Russia With Love again. And I watched it, and, you know, as you would expect, it doesn't really age well, you know? There's, there's uh, you know, just the way women are portrayed in the film and stuff like that, it's like, my wife was sitting there and she's like, oh, come on. And I'm like, I, you know, this this is what they do. What do you want from me? <laughs> I didn't write it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's, there's like a, there's literally like a fight. It like, um, you're not even really supposed to say this more, but it's like, it's like a gypsy camp in the film. There's a fight. And they got these two women fighting over who's going to be the, uh, the wife of the, the leader or something like that. And it, it's, it's objectifying. It's hmm. pretty, you know, <laughs> it doesn't drive narrative at all. James Bond in this case, Sean Connery ends up sleeping with both of them, and like they don't really resolve that at all. And like, yeah, you're just constantly walking into women that want to bang them. And this movie's trying to say, I think that like that's patently ab- absurd, especially if you're mm-hmm. supposed to be like keeping a low profile. But mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I don't know, man. They just they really lean into the point where they go directly into just being that. So, the 1967 film. James Bond is really mad that other James Bonds out there, people, because the whole thing is he retired, but the British Secret Service still feels like they need a James Bond. So they assign somebody else the 007 and they give somebody else the James Bond nomaker. And he doesn't like it because his reputation of what he did as a spy, he feels like it's tarnished because that's never what he did. He never just went around womanizing like that. And his whole thing is to kind of salvage his name and just be like, all right, uh, this is what a spy is supposed to be. People try to tarnish it by throwing women at him. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the way the film just 
kind of deals with that objectifies women still like like if you're gonna come up with a smart way of james bond you know just not being a womanizer there's a billion ways you can do it and this 1967 film definitely didn't do it all you gotta do is just like have women not deal with his shit just like necessarily like oh what are you doing like right. <laughs> you can't talk to me like that right. you can't like we did um nutty professor like you know just just wipe a little bit of lipstick off and let's get to this you know and then that's kind of happening in this film and they're just like okay with it because it's part of their mission right and it's like if if you really wanted to you know put a spin on what james bond is and what he does I don't think doing the same thing right. <laughs> is exactly the right way to do it. Right. Because you're supposed to be a parody, and I'm going to say this right now, it doesn't feel like a parody for a lot of the film. Yeah, like, uh, if you're watching, like, the first half of the film, because um, it does focus, you know, there's other bonds that we can focus on as well. Um, this is just the one we happen to be talking about right now. Again, for just to keep things consistent this is lord james bond in my opinion like the retired version yeah like you're throwing these women at him and like when again when i was watching from russia with love it's kind of ridiculous because the plot was there's a double agent that's supposed to seduce james bond and you know basically get revenge for killing dr no right this film's basically trying to do that which is like the double agents are going to throw themselves but then they fall in love with james bond anyway so if you do the same thing i don't get how it's a parody there are moments in this film where, like, you have actually women that are playing 007 in the film. And, like, to me, that was like, hey, stick in that territory? Because that flips this entire genre on his head. If, if James Bond is no longer a man, mm -hmm. then he can't be a misogynist. Like, <laughs> you know, there's even talk, uh, you know, after the Daniel Craig run, that potentially James Bond may be a woman. And, like, that, to me, feels like the commentary here but the even that they you know and we'll get to the different bonds in this film they screw that up too because they basically make these women susceptible to james bond's advances even like one of them is like the daughter of bond. like it's it's ridiculous it's it's like that superman you know death of superman thing where like there's just way too many <laughs> different <laughs> versions of this bond and like <laughs> I, I thought that they they left so much on the table because like Oh, like, James Bond's daughter is going to be James Bond? Like, cool. But they spent, like you mentioned, this first half of the movie basically throwing every hot chick on the planet at him. They're in a mansion, like a Scottish mansion, after they kill him. Uh, spoilers, I guess. They kill him, but, like, did they? I don't, I don't know. It's confusing. And they basically create this fake scenario where James Bond is in a mansion with, like, Another problem with this movie is under <laughs> underage women, and they're all like trying 16 to sixteen to nineteen year olds, yeah, trying to take <laughs> baths with him and throwing themselves at him, and you know, uh, having like dance parties. Like it, it's like okay, if, if if let's say From Russia with Love is a bad film because James Bond is going to show up, bang this chick, and like it's you know now she's head over heels. How are you fixing this with sixty women? Right. Back to back, trying to like bang this old guy too. Like not even a seventeen-year-old in the tub with him. How is that parody? It, exactly. I, I don't know, man. And it's it's <laughs> like it it makes you wonder like who is this for? Because 
at this point, uh, the bond that we're talking about has nothing to do with the novel. We we haven't even got into the Casino right. Royale story because we're spending most of the movie trying to mm-hmm. take down um, the genre that you're making the movie about. It, it felt it felt strange. It was strange, and I'm just gonna kind of build on what you said. You said like suddenly M might be dead. Maybe we don't know. That's because I'm just gonna get into it right now. That 1967 film just has these jump cuts essentially where we were in one scene and everybody seemed fine and all of a sudden we're in another scene and a character might be dead kidnapped captured you don't know what will happen it'll just be a jump cut and you you as the viewer have to play catch up to figure out exactly what new situation you're in and like i said before six different directors that means (laughs) we have six different visions going on here and you know, it's not necessarily cohesive. It is a lot of you playing what is happening right now. Like that first scene, like where James is like on his mansion and then the guys are trying to get him out of retirement and then they bomb his house and you're trying to kind of digest like, did they just bomb his house? Right. And now he's at a castle in Scotland right. returning the toupee of M. Right. <laughs> Uh, and then they're going to celebrate and that's a whole 20 minutes of the movie and you're just trying to figure out like what yeah. happened like is James taking the mission like right. there was a point of them going to visit James and we have this 20 minute detour and we're never told what the point is and, and it's confusing right because you know you, you've got this scene which actually you know in some ways like if if that was the tone and where the movie was going, there was a place for this, which is the retired Bond were asking you to come back out one more time. He's got mm-hmm. a letter from the Queen. He's like, look, I, I'm a loyal Brit, but even even the Queen can't get me to come back out. And then M apologizes and he says, I hate to do this. And he gives a signal, basically, when he smokes a cigar to, like, bomb his house, which I assume that he wasn't going to die because... It's his plan, (laughs) right? But then, like, again, I I don't know what happened there, but like you said, they jump cut, they're in Scotland, and there's all this random jokes that they're trying to make, but, like, I'm I'm still not even aware of what's going on. Like, you having a guy in a kilt with a, a bagpipe, but then the bagpipe's like a radio or something like that. Like, I don't know who the bagpipe guy is. I don't know why we're in Scotland. I don't know why James Bond doesn't know who M's married to. I don't know why he would be confused. Like, you would have somebody that's French, but she speaks the best Scottish of everyone, and she doesn't um, either. And, like, now he's just in a house, and they're all trying to tempt him to fuck up his reputation so he'll come back. Like, aren't they the ones trying to get rid of him? You know, like, why do they want him back in the equation? He's out I of th- the equation because he's retired. Why did you bring him back in to ruin your plan? I, I was confused. I was confused, too. And I have to admit, while I was watching the 1967 film, I had to be on Wikipedia and just have the synopsis next to me every time I got lost. And I had to re- go to it several times. So the whole point of him going to Scotland and um, them trying to seduce him is apparently them trying to tarnish his character because according to that original Bond, 
Bond was celibate and didn't sleep with women, mm -hmm. so they were going to try to prove him wrong by having him sleep with all those women. And that was the whole point. I swear to God, that yeah, was no, the no. whole point of all the sexy women just hitting right. on him, just so they could tarnish his reputation for but, but, science? But here, I don't understand sure, why. Sure, but here's the problem with that, right? Uh, the reputation is tarnished to his own admission. So, like, whether he, the original Bond, has done it or not, the Bond name, which could be picked up by anyone, which is, in, mm -hmm. in some ways, again, if this movie totally knew what it was trying to do, in some ways, that is actually pretty profound. That, like, anyone can be James Bond. That James Bond is a moniker. And it fits, actually, if you go through time, in line with the series. There's so many different yeah. James Bonds that you have to acknowledge that Pierce Brosnan's James Bond is not Sean Connery's James Bond. Daniel Craig's James Bond is not, you know, again, Pierce Brosnan's or Roger Moore's. And it's like, the funny thing is, like, yes, they're all in the same universe, and yes, they're all James Bonds, but that does open up the world where, I don't know, this is just the Bond for this time period, right? Um, it, it, it works, right? Because it doesn't matter who James Bond is as long as they're hitting the James Bond notes. In fact, that's why they're going to reboot the series again when Daniel Craig's done, you know? Like, it, I just, I didn't get that, right? Because he said that the name was screwed up, that the misogyny, the womanizing, uh, and the gadgets were too much, and it was ruining his name. So, was he going to go defend his name? Because he's not, he's not even the only James Bond in this film, so I don't understand what he's protecting. I got no answer for you, Reggie. <laughs> I'm sorry. I wish I wish I could answer that question. Um, I'm there. I'm as lost as you were. Hot though. <sighs> I'm not gonna deny that, uh, but I'm not gonna confirm that either because some of them were underage. But I'm sure they weren't. I don't, I don't know. Uh, on paper, <laughs> they just said they were. Uh, but yeah, it's just bottom line. The 1967 film has six different directors. And it's disjointed. And it's it, seven it's different not, James Bonds. It's not necessarily one solid story that's easy to follow. I mean, it's not at all. I, I don't have to. I don't have to make that any better. It's it's just it's just not. It's really it's hard to follow, and it's a spy parody that doesn't necessarily feel like a spy parody at all times. And you really have to know what they were doing before you even watch it sure. to kind of understand it. Like I said, I was following along with the outline on Wikipedia. It's it's a very hard film to follow because of those quick jump cuts and it's just so disjointed. And, you know, that two thousand six film, it's a you know, it's a pretty straightforward yeah. narrative. Yeah. And I think let's just maybe let's just go into the plots sure. so we could we could get into that a little bit more. So I'm going to start with the remakes plot just because it is a little more simple. So like we said, James is a new spy and he's trying to stop his whole thing. He's trying to stop terrorists from planting bombs. Okay. So, uh, we start with him investigating this guy, chases him, um, most likely has a bomb or something. He ultimately kills him, but he's able to find like a connection. He has, he goes from connection to connection. He ultimately leads him to this, the chief guy who is a character in both films and in this remake this the chief guy he takes money from terrorists he kind of invests it into into different things and then like kind of you know gives them more money yeah. um 
he's able to sort of thwart one of their plans in the remake they were going to blow up this huge airplane for this airline which would make that stock market crash yep. unfortunately for the terrorists james one is able to stop the guy so they lose all their money so this lashif guy has no money at all so in order to get him to kind of talk they feel like they need him to get bankrupt but this lashif guy is a gambler he's a gambler so they decide let's put james bond in a card game with him in the remake it is no limit hold'em a game i like very much and oh yeah yeah we should play one day (laughs) um so they put him on that no limit hold'em uh at first it seems like james knows what he's doing but then he does lose a huge hand to him ultimately james is able to win he wins but him and vesper are kidnapped james does get tortured but lashif does get killed by the people whose money he poorly invested ultimately but bond and vesper are let go you think everything's going okay bond and vesper seem to be falling in love but no vesper kind of took all that winnings that james had took it somewhere james is following her he realizes it that she was sort of a double agent working for somebody else um James tries to save her, he kind of fails, and it's sort of discovered that she took the money to save one of her boyfriends, but then she kind of fell in love with James at the same time, so she needs to make sure James was safe, that's one of the reasons that he lived. It gets a little complicated towards the end, but it's still a single narrative that you can follow, and ultimately, Bond is able to avenge the girl but that he wished he could have saved and you know it's it gets a little drawn out towards the end they are kind of setting up that second movie sure um but it's you know at least it's cohesive it's entertaining and there's a lot of action piece action set pieces in that 2006 film so you're not bored and like we said daniel craig you know, we'll get, we'll get into the James Bond comparisons, but you know he's able to carry it. Eva Green is uh, Vesper, and, and they do a well enough job. Yeah. What helps with that too is that um, in the original, sort of says this as well when they introduce the uh, the Lord James Bond. Basically, like that James Bond had a similar situation. He was in the field. He fell in love with somebody. That person died. Right. By introducing this element in this original film for Daniel Craig, it does show you sort of. James Bond as a character built out. He's not really going to let his heart get all the way invested again. And um, that's kind of how this franchise, I think it allows for this character that is a serial womanizer. Like, no matter what's happening or how deep into the field he gets, he remembers his first kind of love, as it were, this Vesper character. And it it affects his behavior throughout the series. Similar to this original guy, you know, they reference it, but like I did want to make that note that this, to your point, does build out the Bond universe in a really clean way that you can actually follow. <laughs> it is very easy to follow. And then we have the 1967 film. <laughs> so James is retired. Mm-hmm. That's where we start. And then they're trying to get him out of retirement because spies are being killed by this company, Smirch, which is from the original novel. We don't hear that. I don't recall that in the 2006 film. Do you remember no, the name like, Smirch? You know, Smirch, is, Smirch basically becomes Spectre in uh, 
mm-hmm. in the remake um, because that's consistent with the specter of the film. The films are their own thing from the novel itself, so that's mm-hmm. specter sounds better than Smirch. So we have this company Smirch that's trying to kill all these spies. So they go to Bond, and <sighs> I don't even know how to do this. The British service tries to get Bond out of retirement, and like we said, they kind of do because for reasons Bond decides to do that. But when he's on board and realizes all these spies are getting killed, he decides he wants to kind of raise his own network of Bonds. Like all these other, he wants to start his own sort of spy organization mm-hmm. um, because most of these other spies are getting killed because they're falling to the seduction of random women who are killing them. So in Bond's mind, he's like, oh, I need to train spies to not get seduced by women, which could be interesting. Could be. Could be. They don't really go anywhere with that. But, you know, it is it is a play on that whole Bond just sleeps with every woman that he comes in contact with, which is, you know, that's, that's some place to go. Not really explored. Right. Um, anyways, so Bond gets a bunch of spies, which gets into what we were saying. You know, there is a lot of Bonds in this 1967 film. So there's the original Bond, and then there's a bunch of sort of fake bonds yeah, spread throughout yeah. the film who could be men or women right now now help me out here right because at this point in the film they basically are looking for uh an afsd right an anti-female spy <laughs> device it's not a device it's a person and uh again i got a little lost here now the guy that they have early on that's kind of like this smooth james bond type character that's like basically trying to control his you know mm-hmm base sort of emotions and not get all horny basically um what happened to that guy was that the same guy later or or what he it's not the same guy later he does show up later he you do see him kind of training a little bit later just flipping over a bunch of women sure Um, but he doesn't really show up again until the end right and we'll, we'll, we'll get into that when we discuss all the different bonds okay uh but he's essentially a non factor in the film yeah, see, spoiler, spoiler alert. That was my take on it because, like, at this point, right? So, to your to your point about this film so far, we've been introduced to the retired Lord James Bond. Right. right. Yeah. He seems he seems okay. He's, okay. Uh, he's a little quirky. We'll we'll get into that when we talk about the characters individually. But you know, he seems you know he he seems like he fits the definitely like a capable spy. Right. I'll say that. And, and you know, then the second guy feels like. The same thing, right? Like, in, to an extent. Now, again, I don't want to get off track because it, it does sound like we're going to look at each individual bond. But, like, I, I did want to say that, like, at this point, there's so many different avenues this film could take, you know. Uh, we're still open to the possibility of uh, multiple opportunities here. So, like, you've got a guy who, like, is a bondy ladies' man who could be your AFSD. You've got potentially the... The, you know the women and again i'll let you continue but I, i'm I, again i needed some clarity myself so i didn't mean to derail the conversation no oh, it's fine there's this whole i guess series of collecting different bonds uh, one is even his daughter right we'll get into her yeah. uh, even still one of those bonds is killed and then like the 2006 film bond and v- Vesper are kidnapped, mm-hmm. uh, and um, 
Lashif, the guy who's sort of our villain at this point, is killed by Smirch and their leader. And then we find out that the leader of Smirch is the nephew of James Bond, Jimmy Bond. And ultimately, he is tricked by a female Bond right. and he chews on some aspirin thing atomic that actually aspirin. acts like it acts like an atomic bomb after you burp a uh, hundred or so times i don't know exactly the number there's a there's a bunch of or like hiccup 40. or i don't it's <laughs> it's, a, it's a number and then the bomb goes off he explodes and uh, kind of in line with a lot of these sort of 60s comedies like the good guys kind of don't necessarily make it out okay. In in this instance, everybody kind of dies, right? And you see everybody with angel wings, harps, halos, and all that stuff, which is you know comedy. We get a spy parody, so that fits at least the spy parody narrative. Not necessarily the the rest of the film doesn't necessarily fill that, <laughs> right? Uh, the at least the ending does, so you know how, what kind of film it is at least. At the end, and I wish they helped me out sooner. Yeah. So that, those are just a brief overview of the plots. I think we should get into the characters sure. just to expand on that. Let's go into this original film now. Let's now let's focus on this original film because we keep talking about these different James Bonds. Let's talk about the original James Bond okay. in the original film. We have David Niven. He's our retired James Bond. Now. I don't know where to start, so I'm just going to start when we're introduced to him. He's sort of talked up in the car ride there. We got a bunch of uh, these sort of higher-ups from different countries just talking about, well, this is the spy. This is what it means to be a spy. And uh, we can't wait to get him out and just talk to him to, to help us out in our cause. And then we're introduced to him, and he's in his huge mansion. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he plays Debussy till the sun uh, sets, <laughs> kind of like you mentioned. And he's in a weird chair thing yeah. that pumps up and down and it's parody? I, I, yeah, I think it's parody. And <laughs> I think ultimately what they're trying to say is that he's not what you expect, right? Like you get talked up about this smooth spy who's done all this great stuff and everything. And he's basically sitting at home and like um, uh, a smoking jacket or like whatever you call it. Like he's basically in his pajamas. And mm-hmm. he's tending to his garden. He's on this like weird chair, like you mentioned. Maybe it's like exercise thing. I don't know. But like, he's got a profound stutter. Uh, it, you know, like he he stammers mm-hmm. a lot, and um, he's not what you expect. And even some of the um, the people that are there, because you have M that's there. You've got like a CIA guy that's there. You've got a Russian spy. Mm-hmm. You know all this stuff. So, and. This particular bond sort of points out the absurdity of what they're doing, right? It's like, yeah, you got cyanide in your carnation over there. You got fucking knives in your boot. You got mm-hmm. um, so much firepower and whatever. It, and, like, he he's competent but unexpected, I think, would be the best way to describe it. And in a lot of ways, again, there are moments in this film where it's like, mm-hmm. there's something there. There's something right. with the guy that, like, you know, he shows up at um, the spy whatever event, basically, and he's like, uh, excuse me, do you mind if I... And no, and no one takes him seriously. Next thing you know, he shoots down the whole room, wins the day. Like, there's something about that guy. And um, we get moments with him in Scotland, you know, with the physical challenge with The Rock, which was 
you know, whatever. But like, he he is smooth in his own way. He's just not smooth the way you would expect a James Bond to be. Mm-hmm. And I think there's parody there that could have worked if that was a central theme, which it wasn't. But that was my mm-hmm. take, personally. Exactly. No, I'm absolutely on board with you. Um, just sort of like calling out the absurdity of like all their devices because he he seems like a, a quirky character, but he is able to kind of prove that he is a capable spy just because he is able to call out like all oh, your your shoes, your rose, your pen. Like he's able to do all that stuff. He does have a stammer, da 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 da, and he does all that shit. But he's still like on top of things. He's very smart. And he's very capable. And had that been the focus of the film, we could have maybe gone somewhere with this. Yeah. And yeah, I could see that working in this 1967 film. But unfortunately, we don't stick with this Bond. No. We don't even see him for a long time after this. So I think overall, you set him up great. And we could have went somewhere with him, but... You definitely didn't utilize him the way you set him up. Fair. And, you know, I, I do see the world where, like, the stuttering spy right. works, you know? Mm-hmm. Cause, like, I just think of, like, the, the Bill Murray movie, The Man Who Knew Too Little. This kind of, you know, not aware guy that he's in this sort of espionage situation. And he just keeps on, like performing these random acts that are getting him further and right. further towards the actual goal you know it, you know that's a stupid movie but it's enjoyable and like i felt like this movie could have went there because like you have this guy that's not necessarily you know just playing against the james bond type completely you know he's also saying it's stupid that this guy's sleeping with all these women because i never slept with all these women i don't understand why james bond has to be sleeping with all these women so he's he's addressing you know the absurdity of this perfect spy who gets to sleep with all these beautiful women, like, right off the bat. I feel like you keep going that way. Right, right. Keep going. Like, there is a universe where it works where, like, breaking the rules of this established silly universe, which is drink a martini, bang this chick, and, uh, you know, tell her you're a spy. Like, of course that shouldn't work in, in spy world. But, like, yeah, they, they stop short. And uh, not only do they stop short, they completely... Switch gears, so maybe maybe I can take us into some more of these uh, these bonds. All right, so I'm gonna move on to kind of our I guess the number two bond, the bond that sort of mirrors the bond in the 2006 film the most, which is Peter Sellers. His initial name is Evelyn Tremble, but he ultimately becomes a James Bond as well. And I'll just throw her out there too, uh, just in case we mes- mention her. Um, Vesper in the 67 film is portrayed by Ursula Andress who was in the original mm-hmm. James Bond movie and she's also sort of tagged as a James Bond she's the one who actually recruits Peter Sellers character so I just wanted to throw her out there because they are pretty close how the two of them always interact and everything sure. so his Bond is kind of closest to what resembles what you think bond would be yeah what you just what you think of bond in in general just he doesn't really come across as goofy he definitely comes across as kind of a straight shooter um he seems competent yeah capable he's definitely good at the card game he was recruited because he's good at baccarat that's the card game 
that Lashif is really good at, and that's actually from the source material from the, the 53 book. It's not No Limit Hold'em, it is Baccarat. So that's why he's recruited, so it makes sense to you. Like, oh, this is gonna be the Bond. Peter Sellers also gets top billing in the 67 film. So he definitely exemplifies Bond the closest is the way you, you think he has or should be uh, over the years. Yeah, and, and it's like, um, I guess, like, there's aspects of him, like, what he typically wears glasses and he doesn't, but, like, you know, right. that, yeah. that that's probably the closest to him being sort of kind of the jokey character. Like, he's not quite the physical specimen in some ways right. that you would expect, but it makes sense. Like, in a universe where anyone can be James Bond and you're recruiting James Bonds to fill certain roles like yeah Lashif is really good at Baccarat and you're the premier expert at Baccarat and no one knows who you are I could see that you know let's recruit mm-hmm. this guy to be the spy for the Casino Royale mission makes sense and uh, to your point he does ultimately uh, as the movie progresses feels the most like a James Bond when um, mm-hmm. as we know him um it's just such a there's so many moments like where he's actually kind of smooth like when he's not wearing his glasses short he misses the champagne glass or the well not the champagne glass he misses someone in his room that he's trying to shoot and now like that okay that's funny and like we're still in parody world he puts his glasses on he shoots off the cork so it's like okay he is smooth he just has like some limitations um he's not super confident about his ability to be bond because that's not his world, but, like, when it's all said and done, he's able to do it, and he does it competently. Like, he wins that Baccarat game pretty handily against Lashif. He's able to get the upper hand on Lashif, who's, like, cheating with these infrared glasses. And then, you know, again, it's parody. They make him wear, like, these uh, weird, like, kitten glasses and so like that. So, strange but funny enough in, like, yeah, this guy is... We're right there. Okay. So we're right we, there. We we flipped from uh, the old man Bond, uh, and now we're, like you said before, kind of like in our year one Bond, and it does, this is the only time, in my opinion, this movie feels anything like the source material. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm just going to come right out and say it. Peter Sellers, he had some issues with um, the 67 film. He's, like I said, he got top billing. He's sort of our main star. He didn't necessarily play nice with everybody. He had a lot of issues with the film. He didn't necessarily like the parody take on it. He definitely wanted to play more of a straight Bond character, which is, I think, why he feels the most like Bond in the 67 film. Which, you know, okay, okay. So he didn't want to play the parody. He gets to play a straight guy. That's okay. That's okay. Um, not only did he want to play straight, but he things came to a head at a certain point, and he flat out refused to film anything else anymore. And, you know, that's a problem when your star refuses to shoot anything anymore. So he essentially dropped out after a certain point, and I said it before, this original, or this 1967 film feels a little disjointed, um, you could blame Peter Sellers because the creators, the producers, the directors, everybody kind of had to figure out what to do now that their lead star wasn't here. Right. And, you know, I, I, I just I feel for them. <laughs> I, 
it's what do you do and unfortunately you know they they, they try to, to fix everything but it, it still has that disjointed feel sure. uh, you know there, there's rumors he didn't get along with Orson Welles we'll talk about him a little bit later and you know it's just it's a shame because he definitely was the closest to Bond uh, through all the sort of Bond characters in that film and we follow him a lot yeah and you know other than winning that Baccarat game we don't really go anywhere with him because because he dropped out and he just he's ultimately just killed kind of an off-screen death yeah in a way yeah because like when you see the aftermath of him getting shot it's actually just a freeze frame of like dead bodies you don't even he doesn't even get shot necessarily it's just you see him getting shot at and then you just see a pile of dead bodies which you assume he's in right so um you know closest to bond but just uh, potential not reached because unfortunately we had a pro- he had a problem. Yeah, and like even the moments in that uh, he interacts uh, with Orson Welles, who we'll talk about, who uh, plays Le Chief, and we'll talk about his Le Chief versus the other one. But um, they have the back and forth that you kind of saw in this remake. You know, Le Chief makes fun of his uh, the book he wrote about Baccarat. He said, you know, it's pretty uh, uninformed, and you know he has skin in the game there, which is like. Hey, I think I'm pretty good at Baccarat. This guy thinks I kind of suck, and they they square off like again cohesive. Here's the money we staked you money. Here's mm-hmm. what he's trying to do. Lashif is trying to basically bribe uh, all these world leaders so he has control. He needs the money because he's a compulsive gambler. To your point, and he's been staked by uh, Smirsh or whatever. And it's like, okay, here's the plot. We're here. We we got it. And the funny thing about it is this particular plot point is sandwiched sort of like in the middle of the movie and then they like it happens and it doesn't happen you know and it's like oh uh, okay because we could have stopped right here when he won the game and you know saved the day but like we didn't stop here actually we have a long way to go um, and really the only thing that resembles the source material is it 10 minutes of the movie like, yeah. maybe yeah, it's very brief, and that's, from my synopsis, that's where I was able to draw upon, was pretty much what Peter Sellers did. Yeah. Anything the original David, um, anything the original Bond did, David Niven, I didn't throw in the synopsis because it doesn't really follow Casino Royale, and it's, <sighs> apologize to everybody, it's hard to do a comparison <laughs> when the Bond is doing completely different things um, than the other one, so... For comparison's sake, the Peter Sellers character is the one we could focus on the most. And unfortunately, after a certain point, there's nothing we can do because he's just kind of written out of that script because he didn't want to do it anymore. And I will say that for me, the highlight of the movie is this Peter Sellers part. I mean, it just it feels like what the movie should have been. And to your point, when you have six directors, when you have seven James Bonds in one Bond movie. I don't even know if we've had seven James Bonds uh, outside his parody, like, total. <laughs> yeah, right. You know? And, and, like, it's such a sacred sort of franchise that, like, every time we do a new one, it's a problem. This movie will... Your Bond, your Bond, your Bond, <laughs> your Jimmy Bond, your... You know, it, it's so... It's so just kind of, like, slapshot. It's just so much stuff thrown into this film and when I was having the most fun 
was during the Peter Sellers part. So I'll, I'll say this, that like uh, Peter Sellers versus Daniel Craig, of course, um, this is the closest thing to what our podcast usually is, is going to sound mm-hmm. like. Um, Peter Sellers is a decent James Bond. I, I would put him up against Daniel Craig to an extent. Daniel Craig wins the day for sure with his portrayal, but um, Sellers, like, okay, he, he kind of surprised me with his ability to uh, step up and become sort of Bond, even though he's more of like a sort of math gambling nerd, and uh, it, it worked. And mm-hmm. he even, like, hooks up with the chick with the champagne bottle. Uh, we get the scene that's very much like um, in the book where he gets poisoned and he uses the antidote, and, like, that's just like the scene where Daniel Craig is poisoned at the mm-hmm. the table and he has to like literally be revived. Like I was like, oh shit, like this feels like Casino Royale and that didn't last long in this movie. Yeah. And you know, we keep saying this or we have said this is a spy parody. He doesn't necessarily fall into the parody oh, so. too much. Like the most Peter Sellers really comes into parody is like when he's with Vesper, like kind of the first time he meets her and he kinda has to She's trying to convince him to become James Bond. Mm. And she's like, well, you know, you just pretend to be somebody else. So he kind of has this sort of montage where he sort of plays other people, some other nationalities sometimes. <laughs> Borderline offensive, not never necessarily crossing that line. You know, and, you know, it's 1967, so give him a little bit of slack. And he does kind of go there later during yeah, the background yeah. game that's when it was a little more that offensive was, when you just started doing accents yeah. and i'm just like mm, <laughs> i don't know about that it didn't age so well. it, it did not age well and you know easily you can cut those out mm-hmm. right and he could have he could have totally just been james bond he didn't have to go into that weird stuff like Everything else, I feel, was pretty straight. I don't think he did much when it came to comedy in that 67 yeah, film. Yeah, it's like, for some reason, they had him dress up as, like, Hitler at some point. It was just, you know, weird. Yeah, he did dress up like Hitler, yeah. But, like, you know, <laughs> I got it. Like, this sort of, uh, this sort of, con- like, in some ways, like, every man who, uh, you know, is now put in this spectacular situation of, you're so good at Baccarat, you're going to be an international spy. And he's like, oh, really? And then this, you know, very beautiful woman's trying to convince you of things. And you think you're about to, like, I don't know, like, it looks like you're going to hook up maybe. And then she's, you know, like, there's so much misdirection. And this is when, the like, again, I'll say it again. This is when the movie works. When this is sort of a parody here, right? Like, uh, this guy who is trying to be a James Bond but just isn't, you know? But funny enough, the guy who isn't is the best James Bond in the movie. Yeah, I just, I, I don't, I mean, obviously we know what happened, but like, I just, I wish that that worked, you know, I wish that this didn't end up being full on parody because uh, I think they actually, with the cast that they had in those scenes, it was like, wow, this actually could have been something, and uh, fortunately it really wasn't. I not. I don't have anything to add to that right now, so I'll just go on to the next James Bond, sure. maybe the next really you know, important one. We'll just say it's maybe the daughter of James Bond, uh, Joanna Pettit as Mata Bond, James Bond's daughter, the daughter he had from the only love he ever had, the reason James Bond retires in the 67 film. So he kind of reconnects with her after putting her in an orphanage when she was, I don't know, three, let's Mm -hmm. just say, for sake of argument. 
finally you know connects with her again and she's doing this very elaborate sort of belly dance yeah um you know choreography not too bad it was it was pretty solid for what i saw sure and so we recruits her and she's in the film right <laughs> i don't know what else to say after right. that so, she recruits her and she's in the film so from uh as the kind of like the bond um I guess, quote-unquote, expert here. Um, yeah, okay, I see the parody here. It's like her uh, mother was like Mata Raja or something like that. It was, you know, funny, you know, this is... Mata Hari, I think. Yeah, Mata Hari, thank you. Uh, Mata Hari, which is like, okay, yeah, that's exactly something a James Bond movie would do. They'd have a character with an unfortunate name that is not the ethnicity that she's uh, being portrayed as. Um, <laughs> and that uh, we could see, like, an elaborate, like five minute dance sequence or something like that which typically you would kind of see at the beginning of the film but okay we'll throw it in the middle of the film and you know in some ways it is funny because like that's some dumb shit that a james bond movie at the time would have done so right it's in so yeah that works yeah, yeah it's funny but then like that's the only joke right like that this is the type of character that being the film they they lose the game after that because uh you know, the orphan story is whatever, and she's upset, but she's not really that upset, is she? And no. the other side of it is, uh, you know, in a movie, uh, especially a franchise where, like, it's kind of based on sexual tension or something like that, introducing the lead character's daughter and also having her basically be in a quote-unquote sexy outfit the entire time, talk about her mother's sort of, like, conquest, as it were, of men. Like, a lot of the film revolves around who her mother slept with and stuff like that, and it just... Uh, it, it, they got a, they got away from themselves there. Uh, the recruiting of uh, of Mata Bond got a little squirrely. Like and she's get, getting introduced to different people that um uh, that fit sort of like the goofy villain things. Like uh, I don't know the guy's name, but he's got the battery pack atta- attached to him and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So like they're they're making all these parody references, but again without knowing the series, you're not gonna get it. And they don't. I didn't get it, Reggie. I did not get it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like you, you look at the battery guys, basically like a Jaws type or like an odd job character, like these weird um, side villains that they're not the main villains, but they're like they're the villains' best henchmen. And like, oh, Jaws has silver teeth or something like that. Odd job is short, but his hat's got blades on it. You know, like <laughs> this goofy, stupid shit that happens in James Bond movies. Yeah, they kind of made the joke but like i just felt that mata bond was not a solid or flesh out enough character to continue to make these jokes and again if you're making fun of the fact that you're doing this why are you making the daughter kind of like the sexualized bond right. girl right like yeah you know, it doesn't make sense like you're making fun of one aspect while embracing another and this movie does that consistently it's really strange mm-hmm. yeah it's a very sort of contradictory film because it's like oh it's bond is over sexualized well let's have all these women just like (laughs) over sexualized for no reason at all like she's just in like a belly outfit like for 90 percent of the time she's on screen and just she's she's eye candy she doesn't she does have a mission she she's supposed to infiltrate sort of the smirch uh, training center, sure. but it, when you say the plot out loud, it it, it could have totally been cut because she has to infiltrate so she could get these um, auction items that 
Le Shreve is selling, which are photos of people in, you know, like compromising situations. Sure. So she ultimately has to get these photos and make sure they don't get sold. So Le Shreve definitely has to play uh, Baccarat. Or you could have just said Lashif is going to play Baccarat no matter what. Right. You didn't necessarily need her to infiltrate this thing into this weird, very sort of, I don't know, I'm just going to throw it out there, Art Deco kind of setting. It, it The set piece for the training center was very different. Um, you could, like, I didn't realize there was different directors until after I watched the film because I don't like to spoil anything. Sure. So when I found out there's different directors, I'm like, oh, it absolutely makes sense. Just the... The art, just the way the the sets were set up, sure. it, they didn't look very realistic. Even the way they were shot, they sort of had like a Dutch tilt. Sure. And, um, the different scenes, so it, it had a definite, it had a different feel for sure, and yeah. just how it was shot, and it, it felt like a completely different movie. And again, this is a problem with that '67 film. We're just hanging on to this character for way too long. Yeah for a plot point that doesn't necessarily drive us forward that much. It's like, and we're just confused. Like, wait, wait, what happened to these people we were following? Why am I following this person now? Right. It, it happens a lot, and it definitely happens while we're following Mata Bond around. Yeah, it's like there's constantly these moments in the film where I'm watching, and I'm like, okay, I get that joke. Like, I get what you're making fun of. Right. But, like, yeah. they, they just, they're in it for too long, and they're not really yes. consistently making the joke. Um to your point in this scene you're right it's filmed different the training's filmed different like we've had scenes where people are doing judo or karate but like in this scene it's sped up that was a little strange and different than the rest of the film and i i get what their again i get what their stated purpose is which is to make fun of this womanizing but like i've never seen a james bond film in all my years that subjectified women more than this parody that's supposed to be making fun of that you know it's like um it's like 70 percent of the cast are just like women in like skimpy outfits doing random stuff and basically just being sex objects including james bond's daughter which is like what yeah. like make her part of the film make her matter and they don't and it, it's such a missed opportunity and i mean yeah. like there's so many weird i i just gotta say like Again, because Woody Allen's in the film, too, and, like, I just felt weird the whole time because there's so... Uh. <laughs> I'm just saying, there's so many young women in the film, and, like, it's Money Penny's daughter, and then, like, you know, like, mm -hmm. even the celibate James Bond has, like, a thing with her. There seems to be some sort of tension with his own daughter. Like, there, yeah. there's a there's lot a of... scene where she says to him, like, if you are my father, and he's like, yeah, maybe, and it's like, whoa, 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 what? <laughs> What's yeah. happening? Why are we it's... going here? We don't need to go here. Yeah, it's like, oh, you remind me of your mother, which is like, yeah, I guess so, it's your daughter. But, like, it's not, <laughs> it's not like he said it in, like, a lovingly, like, right. fatherly way. It's like... More in an erotic way. Yeah. Like, you're more, you look at those curves, just like your mom. Like, what the fuck, man? <laughs> and then, on. you know, other characters are sexualizing her, including, I, again, I don't even care what the character's name is, but, like, the battery man. Yeah, dude. the battery guy. Like, it's it's just tonally off. And yeah. to your point, like, stealing some compromising photos, having the joke of, like, at the auction, like, the, oh, the Chinese delegation is going to stand up, but the British guys aren't going to decide. The, yeah. the the Americans are sitting down, but uh, the Russians are standing up. It, it, like the joke in '67, maybe it's really funny. That joke sucked. 
Yeah. <laughs> that joke is way too long, for, and there's no... The payoff is definitely not worth it, just to see them standing and sitting, because the Americans want to sit when they bid, and the British guys want to stand when they bid, and it's like... Okay, I yeah. parody? Uh, sure. Yeah, but, you know, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but, like, for me, that is Mata Bond, you know, like, Mata Hari got it. Like, funny joke, because they would totally do that. But then they, they like, I think they completely screwed up the implementation of this character. She's just, uh, it's, it's awkward, and uh, it doesn't sit right. It doesn't. Let's move on. Um, so here's another Bond. Before Peter Sellers uh, enters the film, I thought this guy was going to be the Bond we followed. This is Terrence Cooper as Coop, or another James Bond. And he is uh, in the film also. Sure. Uh, so like you said, uh, what was that thing uh, about like making sure they don't get seduced by women? What was yeah, that? Yeah, acronym? so um, in the film, there's a... Uh... Uh, the the elder retired James Bond basically says that all these guys are so susceptible to women. We need an anti female spy device, an AFSD. And the mm-hmm. folder says AFSD. It's the AFSD project. Uh, you have um, I don't know. She might have been a Bond, but uh, I believe was it Money Penny's daughter or something like that. Um, Money Penny's daughter, yeah, Money Penny also. They, yeah, she was also a Bond. Yeah. yeah. So they throw her basically in like. Um, like a night nightgown, you know, they sexualize her and basically, <laughs> basically have her go into a room full of guys. Well, one, she was already trying to hook up with the old Bond. Then the next scene, uh, they have her like kiss all these guys and try to figure out who's going to be the, the, the ladies man that's so charismatic that I don't care what you throw at him. These chicks are going to fall in love with him because he's so smooth. And then like, I don't know, man, like she hooks up with this guy who's like he is hitting the james bond notes that we know mm-hmm. like right. oh yeah uh, let me show you uh where my whatever like he he's got the quick lines he's got the smooth appearance um right. he knows judo but like he could bed yeah, he's like she's gonna she's gonna like i gotta go test out the other guys like why do you go test them out like i think you found your guy and yeah pretty much beds her at that point right and, and he's like, oh, well, exactly. He's like, oh, I got to finish my report. He's like, oh, we can close this report now. And, yeah. okay, again, here's another misdirection. It's like, all right, that could be the guy. Again, from a parody standpoint, maybe you make fun of that guy. But like like you were saying before, maybe his, uh, his style doesn't work, you know? Or, like, maybe he is seducing all these women, but Lashif's like, man, whatever. <laughs> like, Lashif doesn't care, you know? Like that could be um that could have been something funny, but like this guy is in the movie so shortly that like, so short. It just I again he fits the parody of an oversex bond. He does not further the narrative or the plot because okay, he hooked up with Money Penny and then we don't see him for most of the film after that. We don't see him for most of the film. The only time we really see him kind of sort of heavily in the film is sort of his training session which again he gets to make out with the women (laughs) as he did with money penny and then just it's yeah exactly like he's supposed to like fall in love or just get horny but instead he just slams them to the ground so women woman after woman come to him to make out with him just to get slammed on the floor and parody i guess 
I didn't understand that, but at that point, we're also introduced to the detainer, Dahlia Lavi, who is also another James Bond, who is barely in the film until the end, where she kind of plays a crucial part. Yeah, but like that <laughs> that crucial part, again, just reminded me that Woody Allen's in this movie. And like, I like <laughs> some of Woody Allen's work, and I know he's a controversial figure, you know, like. I watched Midnight in Paris recently. I was like, okay, this is okay. Like, I, hmm. you know, Bullets Over Broadway. I like that shit. But like, I like Match Point. Yeah, That's a good one. But like, Woody Allen is a creep. We know that. Like, <laughs> we can internet. Woody Allen's a fucking creep. <laughs> uh, he did marry his daughter. <laughs> this is true. Of course, this is not changed. And he's always been like that. He's, oh, you know, women. I just want to touch. I gotta hold them. I gotta touch them. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh, and like he's doing that in this scene. Like. The same thing he's done in every movie he's ever been in. It's like, because uh, that's what his subconscious is. He's a crazy, horny, neurotic, like, genius. He's like, yeah, his art's amazing, but, like, bro, like, take a cold shower. You got to relax. <laughs> and, you know, I'm sure that, you know, probably his idea to try to figure out a way to, like, tie this chick up naked to uh, a table so he could be all weird and neurotic and, you know. Um, yeah. The detainer was, was a good character in a lot of ways. But like you said, she um, she's not there much. And what do they do with this kind of strong character that does a lot of recruiting and stuff like that? They strap her to a table with no clothes on. <laughs> and then she's... Okay, yeah, she sneaks the, uh, the explosive into his uh, drink. But to be honest, bro, at this point, this movie is so far off the rails that... <laughs> That scene, first of all, getting to that scene was insane. Everything that happens after that scene, and including that scene, is insane. So at this point, I am checked out of the movie. So the detainer, I guess she like helped us get to the ultimate end of the movie, which God bless her for that. <laughs> but uh, you know, this is a missed opportunity with a fairly decent character. Yeah. So I'll just kind of jump into him because it kind of. Uh, talks about her too. So Woody Allen is Dr. Noah, Jimmy Bond. He's ultimately the head of Smirch. He's just upset um, that his, you know, his uncle James Bond and basically all men can get women but him. So he, he wants to do this thing where like all men over four feet six or something yeah. or five feet six die and all only beautiful women are alive. So he's like you know the cream of the crop so all beautiful women will be attracted to him specimen dan <laughs> and yeah he does have the detainer strapped into like this device completely naked you know the straps are covering up all her private parts and everything but yeah it's it's that creepy woody allen just able to get tricked and seduced by this woman as she takes this atomic bomb that's the shape of an aspirin that tastes like an aspirin and he pretty much eats it and then as soon as he's done burping a certain number of times he's gonna explode and you know it's uh, that that's the movie that's the that's a plot point of the movie and um you know like you said Woody Allen's creepy, but, you know, if Woody Allen's in a movie, you're hopeful that, you know, oh, this is going to be at least funny. Sure. You know, and it's really not. Um, The most he really does comedically is, like, he starts playing Debussy, and he kind of does it, you know, and then he does it with one hand, and then he stops, takes his hands off, but it's still going, and then he kicks the piano. That's his biggest ha-ha moment, honestly. Yeah. The whole movie. And then he's burping cartoon 
bubbles out the rest. Right. I mean, he's kind—he's of, kind of funny in the initial intro, which is like you blink and you miss it. What you know, uh, um, the elder James is like, "What's this Caribbean mission over here?" And it's like, "Oh no, it's Jimmy Bond." He's like, "Oh my God, my nephew!" And he's—he's he's about to get shot by a firing squad. And oh, you know, I'm—I'm—I'm—I'm I'm, I'm, I'm allergic to dying. Uh, please, <laughs> you know, I, uh, just look this way for a second. That's my Woody Allen guys. Um, um, and you know, like the funniest thing that happens is he's about to get shot by the firing squad. He has an exploding cigarette as his last cigarette, and then he jumps uh, the wall. So long, suckers! And once he's over the wall, there's another firing sh- yeah. squad on that side, which is like, okay, Woody Allen. That's actually where Woody Allen's good. The neurotic. Uh, I'm so nervous, and then something funny's happening, and you're not expecting it. And um, look, he he's played that joke very well throughout his career, and I think he's actually one of the best at it. But you're right, like just besides that, in this, I took an aspirin. I didn't look after I told you how the <laughs> how the atomic bomb worked, uh, but but oh, I can't look at you. And then, you know, next thing you know, he's blowing up. It's just a weak fucking character. And to be to be frank, I don't want to, you know, use my own sort of preconceived Woody Allen um, opinions here. But, like, it's just so consistent with who the man has proven to be over time. And, again, I'm not saying I'm a huge Woody Allen hater, but, like, I will acknowledge that he has his controversy. And it felt very controversial, the tone of this film to have him playing this character, it just felt like kind of <laughs> gross. I mean, I don't think there's anything else I have to say about <laughs> any of the other Bonds. We briefly touched upon Money Penny. Did she we, didn't really do anything. Didn't do anything. Cooper didn't really do anything. Yeah, Ursula though. Ursula as Vesper. I mean, we could do the Vesper comparisons yeah, we then could do that. if cool. you want to get into that. So we have Ursula Andress as the Vesper in the six seven film. Then we have Eva Green as Vesper in the 2006 film i mean so in i mean it's it's, it's again it's really hard to do a one-on-one comparison because they are such different characters sure. vesper is more employed by the mi6 in the 2006 film where in the 67 film bond actually kind of goes to her just to recruit the guy to play baccarat for him right and you know, she kind of... It's weird, because she kind of falls in love with him, and it's, it's its not really clear exactly, like, how close they get, and, like, how... What they do when they're alone. Like, did they sleep together? Probably. He, that, he, he's with her when he does all his weird, like, costumes, and, like, he dresses with his Hitler and everything. So it's... It seems... I don't know... Yeah, it's like their like the bond and his sort of sexy companion relationship, but it's it's so kind of muddy and you're not. Sh- and, and again, it, the line between like how is this parody or is this serious? It's it's so blurry. Like I couldn't tell what was parody at times. So like I feel like you really have to know those first five Bond films well to like appreciate the parody because i i wasn't i i didn't get it i didn't get it. even then man like it's (laughs) it's not like again i know the first five bond films and again the biggest jokes are that women are throwing themselves at this james bond and they you know they take a swing at that but then they they don't because they do the same thing they make women throw themselves at him 
but in really inexplicable ways uh, throughout the film. And then the other jokes are like the spy gear, which really doesn't come into play in much other than like training sequences. In that opening sequence where uh, they make fun of the uh, CIA guys and the Russian guys for having like spy gear on them. This, to me, Ursula Andress is the most elevated of the uh, of the women characters in this movie. She holds her own in a lot of ways, but you're right, she is relegated to kind of fall in love with this guy who like there's no reason for it. He's not very that capable, you know. Peter Sellers is okay in the film, but like what you know, he's not that smooth, right? Like she's this. By far, in my opinion, this Vesper Lind in this original film is the smoothest character of them all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you put it in ho- in the whole, um, versus like Eva Green, who sort of kind of, in some ways, fits that narrative too, which is that uh, for this to be um, James Bond's first mission, in this case Daniel Craig, this Vesper character is like the one woman that's able to like parry with uh, Bond on a meaningful level they are in many ways equals um mm. I, I can't really think of a moment in the film where like there's other women that james bond sleeps with for instance that just you know he slept with her he got some information he's out you know that's classic james bond but vesper really captured his heart like we have an extended when the movie could have been done you have this extended sort of romantic scene where it's like Hey, I'm going to the store. Hey, I'll see you later. Like, <laughs> like we see their whole kind of like relationship, like boyfriend girlfriend, um, in the remake, and uh, it makes it matter when uh, she gets taken out. You know, you don't get that in the original, and uh, it's it's a missed opportunity again because Ursula Andress does such a, I don't know, she does a good job of being like the anti Bond in the movie. But because the movie's so scattered, like she doesn't really get to embrace that role. Yeah, she certainly is able to hold her own, and you do feel like she kind of does have the upper hand over Peter Sellers, um, who she's recruiting to play the background. Like she, he's kind of under her spell. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, uh, I guess I'll be Bond. I guess I'll I'll just follow you and do whatever you do. And then we always have that Burt Bacharach song come out uh, every time he sees her. So, you know, there's this uh, mystique, this charm to her. And, yeah, like you said, they just, they don't really take it anywhere. They just, they set it up and her character ultimately just falls flat. And, you know, you have Eva Green, Vesper, and she does a lot more with her character, you know, obviously Sign of the Times, but even just like her introduction to Bond, you know, just they're, they're on the train and they're kind of sizing each other up, mm-hmm. you know, figuring out each other's history with just after their first interaction and she's able to hold her own just with Bond or as much as she, Bond is and like, it, that's where you realize that they are equal because he's like, he sizes her up like, this is you, this is who you were and she's like, well, this is you and who you were and he's just like, oh, shit. And it's like, you know I was an orphan because you were an orphan. That's why your head was able to go there so quickly. And it's like, oh, shit. So, you know, immediately, you know, it's, it's kind of a cheeky way for them to kind of meet each other. But it lets you know where the playing field is. And it's absolutely even for yeah. those two characters. So um, a great introduction to her character. And she's strong throughout the whole film, even to the end, even when she betrays Bond and takes that, the money and ultimately makes the decision that she's going to die. Right. It's, it's her hand that kind of decides it's like no but James this is how it's going to end between me and you it's just going to end right now sure. so she has agency throughout 
Um, I know it's a spy parody, but you know what you do with Ursula Andress, it's she is able to get Peter Sellers to do what she wants, but ultimately she's just a lot of her is just eye candy too. Like she talks to David Niven's Bond on the on the phone watch and shit, and she's taking yeah, she, a bath, right, and right. and then he's able to just kind of oogle her, and she's embarrassed, and it's like. Uh, you're just taking away <laughs> right. all this like strength we're giving her just by you know objectifying her in this way. I get it; it's a parody, but like the consistency is just not it's there, not there <laughs> anywhere. I mean, like it just swings back and forth. It's like, are we making fun of this, or or are we this? You yeah. know, in in my opinion, because like again, like I said, I was watching from Russia with Love with uh, with my partner, and um, we're sitting there in. You know, I'm like, Ugh, you know, as the movie's <laughs> going on, because like, like yeah, I enjoyed the film, but I I recognize that look, a 1962 or 64 film may not have the best <laughs> portrayal of women or you know or portrayal of a lot of different things, but like you know, it's the classic um, shaking martini, uh, sleep with this chick, you know, move on. This film is like, okay, you recognize what the problem is, and instead of fixing it, you you double down triple down quadruple down like you've got basically uh, an entire spy agency made up of the types of women that would be bond girls and all you do throughout is like she's not wearing um clothes here while with the uh the video watch um this other one's um giving you you a bath and she's 17 you know like it's just it's it's unfortunate honestly and uh <laughs> Like you mentioned, Green's Vesper has so much to like give. Like she, she's helping James Bond consistently. I mean, she helps him survive the torture scene, unbeknownst to him. She the, saved his life completely. When, saved uh, his life. Yeah, you know, it's obviously yeah, it's tough to compare the parody with a more serious film, but you know. The problem with the parody is just the lack of consistency. When it's like, when is it supposed to be parody? When are we supposed to take it right. seriously? And the tone is never set. Right, right. <laughs> and that's again comes a problem with having multiple directors and just having your lead not want to shoot anymore. Sure. And and uh, I'll add this this kind of last note for it. Green is um, Green is the like the story. That is the story. James Bond. Uh, goes to Casino Royale, you know, he challenges Le Chief, uh, he falls in love, his love is no longer there, right? And it, mm -hmm. it shapes this lore, like you mentioned, year one. This is year one Bond, and like, Vesper's death is a factor, especially for Daniel Craig's uh, character throughout the film. I mean, she's referenced uh, many times throughout his um, his run, right? And you have the same thing in this uh this original sort of satire film where like the old bond had a love and, and she's gone. Uh, but we don't see her. We don't know anything about her. Right. Um, she's not the Vesper in this movie. And it, it's just, it, it, there's no, there's no competition, unfortunately, because they, like you mentioned, they're like, they're, they're on the moon. They're all over the place. I just kind of want to go back. Cause we never really got into details about Daniel Craig's James Bond. So you, you kind of just mentioned that he kind of, develops this chip on his shoulder um, after a while, but maybe we want to get into just some of his other characteristics. Maybe what's different about him 
from other Bonds. And yeah. we had kind of mentioned the physical aspects of him. He's a very physical Bond, uh, very gritty Bond, mm-hmm. a very very green Bond at the same time. He's very good at what he does, but he does have this ego that M kind of keeps bringing up, right. that uh, Vesper even kind of keeps bringing up. At one point, he's supposed to sort of have uh, a pseudonym. Is that the right? Yeah. Something like or, that. Or like alien an al- he's, okay, he's supposed to have an alternate identity when he checks in with Vesper to this hotel, but instead, he just decides to check in. He's like, it, it's supposed to be under beach, but the name is Bond, James Bond. And then she, she's like, what are you doing? You're just throwing around your ego again. He's like, don't worry about it. You know, if he, he knows who I am, if, he's, if he is who he is, and he'll play me. What does that say about him? So he does have his ego, and it does kind of get him in trouble mm-hmm. sometimes. So, you know, you are going to get this grittier Bond, this sloppier sort of bond but he still definitely has a lot of that gentleman spy quality that you expect from bond and like we said before he doesn't necessarily have the toys that bond is notorious for um i don't know if you wanted to throw anything in there oh yeah and um to your point about the ego is that this bond is far far more reckless than you would see from uh different iterations of bond like for instance uh the Madagascar trip, like they, they come up to um to an embassy, you know, like there's diplomatic immunity there. What's he do? He shoots it up. And not only does he shoot it up, he gets caught on CCTV. So like he's on the front page news. <laughs> the spy <laughs> is on the news, you know, like he sucks at being a spy in many ways. But because he is the type of guy that will ju- he's the bulldog, right? This is the bulldog right. bond. He'll go in. If he gets a hold of your leg, he's not letting go. Right. Um. It's a, it's an impressive trait in that way, but he is he is um, undisciplined. He is unchecked. Uh, to your point, he thinks he knows everything, and there's honestly a lot of things he doesn't know. Um, it right. comes it comes back to Biden, whether it's him getting poisoned, whether it's right. him losing that <laughs> all that money, not realizing that the girl's the double agent. You know, this Bond makes a lot of mistakes. Um, mm-hmm. He learns from him, I guess. You know, he becomes a better spy. But uh, in this film, yeah, he's got a lot of uh, a lot of things to work on. Even being as yeah. good as he is. Yeah. So he's very green in that aspect. He's got the big ego, and you know, this is 2006, so around the time of those Bourne movies. So he's very, very much uh, James Bourne yeah. as much as he is James Bond, because it's very physical, very long drawn-out action sequences. Um, like I said, he's he's getting bloodied. He's getting beat up. The scars are gone very quickly. Yeah. He's got the Wolverine healing factor, I guess. Because, <laughs> like, he's got f- cuts on his face, and then, like, the next scene, they're all gone. Uh, but, you know, it is reinventing Bond for, sort of, the 21st century. And I, I think uh, as long as you're able to kind of capture that gentlemanly kind of charm, which he definitely is able to convey Daniel Craig in addition to just making a more gritty and action based Bond I, I think it works pretty well and it works incredibly yeah and I haven't seen the Bonds you know after this one but I definitely do I know the next one might not be the best one yeah, but I hear Sky I hear Skyfall's pretty good so I'll, I'll tough it out um, and Quantum of Solace to, to see him in uh, other ones yeah yeah and um you know, something that, um, because I have, like, the frame of reference of some of these other films, whether it's Skyfall or Quantum of Solace, this universe building is consistent, right? Like, his right. behavior in this film dictates his behavior 
in future films. And, and in many ways, like I mentioned before, his behavior in this film actually could be potentially referenced back to some of the older films. So although, like, of course, these other films are made in 1960, this is Bond's first adventure, and it actually can tie back into the uh, other films. Uh, for instance, he doesn't quite drink the signature drink that we know from the, the movies. I actually do think he drinks uh, what he drinks in the book, which is actually different. It, um, I believe it's actually a stirred martini. But uh, when he orders the drink and everyone at the table is like, oh, yeah, I'll, you know, like, yeah, like this Bond still has a tailored suit. He still has, uh, you know, some of the gadgets and stuff, but not quite at the same level because it's early on. But uh, what what he has is different than all the other Bonds is that, yeah, I got the suit. But like next thing you know, we're in a, like I mentioned, we're in a staircase and like getting thrown downstairs, getting stabbed, you know, like all this shit. And like when he gets out of a fight, it's not like Pierce Brosnan. It's not like, ooh, you know, let me yeah, put yeah. my hair back in place. Um, <laughs> did I break a sweat? I don't think I did. <laughs> yeah. Like uh, after he after he gets poisoned. He almost dies. Like the look on his face when he goes back to the table and just like, <laughs> like sweating through his suit. Like there's something really cool about Daniel Craig being able to pull off both. Uh, he looks tough enough to be a tough guy. He looks smooth enough to be a ladies' man, and he fits. He's right in that range, and uh, he is um, in a lot of ways. Um, he is James Bond. Yeah, he's really good. He has a scene in the beach where he has a shirt off. I don't know about you, Reggie. I saw that. I had to do some fucking pull-ups. Yeah. Uh, I, felt, I was like, Jesus, I'm going to work out more. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, very physically fit. Um, he's got that charm. Um, he does make a lot of mistakes, and he does have to overcome them. And, yeah. uh, you know, it gives he, him somewhere to go. He pays it's, for his mistakes. And yeah. I think it teaches him to not make as many. Uh, so, you know, I don't want to dwell too much on Daniel Craig. Um He's been Bond for a while, so he's, he's pretty well established. But let's go on to the Le Chief character, because we have mentioned this character a bunch already. Yeah. So Le Chief, portrayed by Orson Welles in the 67 film. And then we have Mads Mikkelsen uh, as Le Chief, uh, return uh, for this series. Uh, we remember we talked about Mads Mikkelsen in our um, Clash of the Titans episode. We actually have a few uh, alumnus. Uh, I just want to kind of mention that right now before yeah. we go on. So I mentioned also Jacqueline Bissett, who was uh, Miss Goodthighs. We didn't really talk about her too much, but she, she's she's in and out in this in this uh, '67 film. But she was in uh, Murder on the Orient Express. Um, of course, I, I see that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we have Jeffrey Wright, who we talked about in our Manchurian Candidate <laughs> episode, and uh, I think there was one more. I could be wrong. Let me let me check out here. Huh, maybe that's it. Hmm. That might be it. I, I might remember one more later. But uh, yeah, we just we just have a bunch of alumnus in. So check out those episodes if you haven't seen them already. Hey, that's right. that's my plug for past episodes. Anyway, so we have Lashif. I'm gonna start with Mads just because it's the more straightforward portrayal is what you'd expect. Uh, Mads Michelson. Um, I'd actually watched the Hannibal series hmm. sort of recently, so he he very much is like in line with that sort of Hannibal character. A very sophisticated villain, uh, if I may say so. Um, he's got this problem with his eye. Um, you know, I don't know exactly sure what it is. It's a different color than his other eye. He's got kind of a scar around it. He's able to cry blood. Mm -hmm. uh, it's very much a character trait. He's very good with math. 
um, we're told, which is why he likes playing poker so much. He knows the odds. He plays the odds. He's really good at that. And, you know, if you've seen Michael... Uh, if you've seen Mads Michelson portrayals before, he's, he's very much that. He's very much a gentlemanly villain. Yeah. And he plays that well. He can get vicious at times when he's torturing Bond, you know, hitting his balls <laughs> with that rope. <laughs> Scratching his balls, as Bond would say. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, he's... Overall, he's, he's solid in what he does, and he delivers a Mads Michelson performance, as far as I can tell. Yeah, it's, uh, like you mentioned, sophisticated, cold, and, like, jarringly cold, which is like, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm torturing you. I put you in a seat with no bottom, which uh, is in the original, too, weirdly. Uh, not the same effect, but, uh, <laughs> but, like, yeah, like, I remember watching that scene again, and I was like, Oh yeah, I remember this—the the rope and the, the chair—and um, and like both of these characters are super believable. Like Daniel Craig getting tortured feels like a guy getting fucking tortured, you know. And Mads looks like the type of guy that would torture somebody like this. You know? <laughs> He's great because he has a—he keeps it together, but he also has a short temper, right? You know, when mm-hmm. everyone's ordering the drinks at the bars, like, are we done with this part? Like, can, can, who wants to play poker? I think he just he has that villain look down. I mean, and as you yeah. mentioned, if you can play Hannibal, uh, yeah, you could. Yeah. yeah, you could play villain. <laughs> exactly. If you're a fan of the Hannibal series and you haven't seen this, he's pretty much he's great here. He has this great scene where um, sort of the people whose money he was trying to invest these terrorists they they break into his room after they find out that he lost the money because the plot failed so they're going to chop off not his arm because he needs to play poker they're going to chop off his girlfriend's arm and as they're about to chop off his girlfriend's arm as soon as the blade gets to her arm the guy stops and he goes not a word of objection from this one mm-hmm. <laughs> quite a man you have there and it's just like yeah i could see that guy not objecting to his girlfriend's arm getting cut off yep. just to save his own skin um, he's a great villain. It's because, you know, he doesn't, he's, he's not one of those sort of mustache twirling ones. He's, no. he's very, he's very reserved, very sophisticated, very upper class. Mm-hmm. And he only like breaks that when he has to be the villain, like right. when he's torturing Bond. So, you know, just a great portrayal by Mads. Yeah, he's very methodical. I think it's the word that comes to mind for me. And, uh, Mads is, uh, Mads is, like you mentioned, I got nothing to say. Like we talked about Daniel Craig, I think he he nailed it. Like that's mm-hmm. that's Bond to me. Uh, maybe over all these other greats, including Sean Connery, who's maybe one of the best. Uh, Mads, this is this is awesome. You know, like there's been other villains like that. Like you mentioned Goldfinger and Doctor No, and like Mads holds his own in that universe. Like he's a memorable uh, character, including the fact that this list chief has to go up against the late great Orson Welles. Yeah. So Orson Welles was chief. Um, um, so we we sort of talked about this a little bit before we started filming. This is sort of Orson Welles around the time he was doing those commercials. Oh, <laughs> oh the Chateau wine. Yeah, that's that's our. Paul Masson, the finest French champagne. <laughs> Uh, cut. <laughs> so, if you haven't seen that, if you haven't seen that video of Orson Welles doing the champagne commercial, yeah. absolutely do yourself a favor. Uh, I might throw in a little clip. <laughs> yeah. and, um, uh, anyway, and also, uh, I would say the frozen peas commercial, which is parodied very well in the critic. 
A critic, yeah, that's that's how I know that from. That's that's how I knew Orson Welles was so a kid. good, even cold. <laughs> even oh, they're even better when you're dead. <laughs> um, so Orson Welles is Lashif. A very small role, not mm. in the movie as much as Mads Mikkelsen is in that 2006 film. We barely see him. Every time we see him, though, he is, for the most part, in a casino, surrounded by beautiful women. Yeah. This is the back rat guy. But, because we're in parody, Reggie, he's not only great at cards. You know what he likes to do? Uh, in between hands? Magic. 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 He just likes to uh, levitate people for no reason at all. Yeah. And just do these random magic tricks. And I did my due diligence and did some research. And that was an Orson Welles idea. And nobody contested him <laughs> because it's Orson Welles. Yeah, you can. So he's like, I just want to do magic. And again, this is another one of those reasons that Peter Sellers and him just butted heads because Orson Welles wanted to do his thing. Peter Sellers wanted to do his thing. And they did not meet anywhere. So Orson Welles is just going to do random magic for you, which I actually appreciated because, okay, parody. So right. yeah, of course right. this guy is going to just do random magic in the middle of a back right hand. He's going to, yeah, oh, you want the champagne bottle? Let me just open it with some style. I mean, that's... <laughs> That that's fucking hilarious, man. That it kind of like you know tapped into some like kind of Arrested Development. I can just sure. see like Job doing that shit. Like, oh, I can open this bottle of champagne, or I can make it appear. It just it, right, right. It was at least something, you know. It was some attempt at humor in this movie that's supposed to be a parody. So as dumb as it is, I was able to you know latch onto that and be like. Yeah, okay, I'll, let's go with this. I'll yeah. go with it. <laughs> I, I mean, even with all the parody and the joke angles, like, thank goodness Orson Welles is in this movie because he brings a lot of uh, grounding to this. He brings uh, his own gravity, uh, being Orson yeah. Welles. And, like, you know, minus the parody, he's actually a pretty good Lashif. Like, uh, he is, he does cut an intimidating figure in many ways. And uh, he's very believable as, like, a card kind of genius that you can't beat. Now he cheats and stuff like that, but like, that's fine. You know, the infrared glasses, I, I get it. Like, he just has an upper hand. He also, like, you know, it's Orson Welles, so like, his prose is very uh, pronounced and he, he, he just has an air about him. And Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but to your point, I mean, yeah, it's funny, you know, okay, yeah, we put him in stupid glasses. Yeah, he, like, levitated a chick, and then she disappeared, and no one asked where the hell she was. <laughs> uh, that was awesome. Was, I didn't expect her to disappear. That was so cool. It was pretty cool. And, like, it, once again, as ridiculous as some of the magic stuff was, um, it works. Uh, because, like, yeah, this guy's winning all the hands, and he's, like, doing magic between the hands. And he felt the most like someone that should be in a Bond movie, you know? Like, right. He like I could reasonably put him up against the Mads uh, Michelson um, Lashif, and you know if you take the magic out of it, I I think you know, sure Mads had more to do and stuff like that, but like I, it's Orson Welles, like yeah he's competing, he's <laughs> he's the late great Orson. Peter Sellers, like I mentioned, he felt the most like Craig, and like this was the only time when Orson Welles was on screen. This is the only time this movie felt like it made any sense to me. It mm -hmm. felt like the plot of Casino Royale, and I think Orson did nail the, the tone, you know, adding his little flair to it, but, like, wisely so, because what... This ain't a serious movie, so, yeah, I'm gonna do magic. You're, you're right, Dan. This is this is the, the best you're gonna get out of this movie, unfortunately. Yeah. 
he's up there with Bond. The, the two of them go to head to head. You know, Bond versus the villain. This is what you want to see. And you know, there's the magic is silly, but Orson, like you said, he's very imposing. He's very confident in what he does. And you're not gonna think this guy's a joke, <laughs> other than the magic. But like, he's he's very well. Um, I mean, he, he does his job really well, and if it wasn't for the weird way he was executed, um, I think he would have been a great villain. Oh, yeah. um, if, he should have gotten a lot, little more screen time, but you know, it's Orson Welles. You're, yeah, you're going to take what you can him. get from him at that point. Yeah. So, uh, you know, but it's, it's a short role. Had it not been a parody, had this been like a serious, straightforward Bond film, I think Orson Welles would have played a great Bond villain. That that would have been amazing just to see Orson Welles just at like the, the card table, just like staring you down with that Orson Welles. He's got those crazy eyes that Jack, Jack yeah. Nicholson has, you know? So he's, he's really good at the villain part. But then like later he has to be torturing Peter Sellers that as part, Bond. Yeah. And then that just gets, that's when we just go sense. straight up camp. And it's just a bizarre torture like with looking like through the the periscope, which um, the periscope thing is actually kind of funny because I think I was watching from Russia with Love and they had like a periscope set up in mm-hmm. like some office. Like that wouldn't work. You you set up a you, you set up like a telescope in the bad guy's office. Like how? So yeah, it's funny to make fun of that stuff. But the the torture didn't read well. I was very confused as to what was happening throughout that sequence yeah. it's it's crazy too because it's a good setup he's like he's like what are you going to do to me he's like i'm not going to lay a finger on you but i am going to torture you it's it's something like that and yeah. it's pretty scary to think like, like wow i'm not going to actually be physically hurt but i'm still going to be tortured like that's pretty crazy shit but then like instead it just kind of becomes like 2001 with some right. weird psychedelic effects and yeah. all of a sudden there's all these guys with bagpipes marching what the fuck yeah parody and then then, you know to have the the chick show up with the bagpipe machine gun and like yeah and then she was gonna kill him but then she didn't the whole thing was really just well she killed sellers at that point yeah you're right actually yeah you're right yeah that's that's the off-screen death he that has. is the off-screen death you're right yeah that's what then i read that they had to kind of do it like that because he refused to film anymore so they kind of had to give him that weird death that's why we have this kind of weird freeze frame after she shoots him to show the pile of bodies it's, it's uh, messy <laughs> yeah but like you know like you mentioned wells it was working i mean and orson wells can play all kinds of villains i've seen the guy play a planet in a in a cartoon about the Transformers, you know, like mm. Unicron. Oh my God, Omicron! Like Unicron, yeah, Unicron. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Worked. Unicron <laughs> was awesome, bro. This um, Lashif, before it got all goofy, was awesome. That that torture mm-hmm. scene was just, you know, it, it was over. It was overdone. The way they killed him off there, like the guy's hand coming through the. The glass. Came through the, like, yeah, it came through the monitor of like his computer screen. Like there was actually a guy in his computer and they just punched through and shot him in the head. And... It's a shame um, because Orson really did elevate this movie. Unfortunately, the movie is what it is. And uh, <laughs> yeah. so I guess, you know, Mads, yeah, Mads Michelson, yeah, he, yeah, he killed it. Like he was great. But I, I do have to give note to Orson Welles. I think if you did not. If they figured out the tone, he would have been awesome. And he still was, even with this shitty tone. 
Um, I'm not sure we want to go here. I did kind of mention M. M's not really big in that 67 film. Obviously, we have Judy Dench in the 2006 film. Judy Dench kind of doing her thing. Just, you know, the head of MI6 just does what Judy Dench does. That kind of imposing old lady kind of thing just makes you feel bad for even doing anything and but ultimately able to get on board as long as what you're doing uh makes sense and unfortunately for her james bond likes to keep her in the dark a lot right in that 2006 film and uh it's only when she like realizes oh this is what he means to do or it's like oh he hacked into my thing so yeah. i could see what he's looking at right now or like oh that he needs to know where the bomb is going so she you know she's she's good she's very brief Lee in the film, she's not really portrayed too much, and you really don't even see her a lot. It's almost like you kind of just hear her on the phone. Right. She's talking to James a lot, but you know, it's, it's still what James has to kind of answer her all the time. Like, sure. this is his boss, and so James Bond might be the guy, but this, you know, the guy has a boss, right. and she definitely and, is able to capture that. And it's cool because you do this sort of gender swap M with Judy Dench. Also, like, I have the benefit of knowing sort of what they do with some of the other films. Uh, she's a very important figure in the remaining films. This is kind of like your initial sort of setup. Mm. She is also, not only is she the boss, she's also sort of a maternal figure because James doesn't have parents, you know? Judy Dench, again, she doesn't, like you mentioned, in this particular film, she doesn't get to do too much, but she's reprising an iconic sort of character that traditionally was not played by a woman and she handles her role very well and becomes a very important part of the series in the context of this film she's kind of just okay but in the context of what they ultimately end up doing with her she's a a great addition to this particular bond series but we'll focus on what happened in the movie she's she's sidelined for the most of it but she's competent Mm -hmm. and then you have john houston as M in the 67 film, John Huston, one of the six directors who ultimately gave himself that role because he couldn't find anybody to play it. Um, like we said, very briefly in the film before he explodes in his toupee is yeah. all that remains of him. So I don't even think there's anything I can really say about him other than, hey, he was the director too. Yeah. Because like, he barely did anything in the film. Yeah, he just kind of introduces all the bit fake yeah you know, uh, secret agent boss characters. He explains who James Bond is. Yeah. He's uh, super Scottish. Um, you know, he's running MI6. And uh, yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, it, man. Yeah, he lights a cigar and he gets blown up, apparently. <laughs> is there any other character or plot point you want to talk about? I do want to talk about the music, but unless there's any other no, person. I think, I, think, I think we pretty much nailed it. I mean, if we had to surmise, because I know it's a lot for... The audience to take in what you have here is a very straightforward retelling of the novel by daniel craig eva green mads michelson they they play these characters really well they move from scene to scene kind of seamlessly uh we get a lot of backstory and we get the foundation of what james bond the character in the series particularly this daniel craig series is so this movie has the very specific role of of rebooting a storied franchise and i think that they made a lot of choices to make it easier for themselves to do that especially considering this is the first bond adventure the parody is trying to say it's goofy to have this like womanizing guy that kills everybody everybody knows who he is already 
Um, he's not really a spy. And, like, isn't that silly? Like, yeah, they make that statement, but then they don't follow it up with any cohesive or coherent action. Yeah, it, it, the movie suffers. Uh, there's too many bonds. There's too many plot points. Uh, and there's too many directors, to your point. Um, again, not... I'm just saying that as a quick summation for everybody to know where we're at right now in this conversation, in case you got <laughs> lost. All right, fair enough. I want to just talk about the music a little bit. Um, the original film, we'll start with that. We, had, Like I said before, we had Burt Bacharach, who did the score, and he also wrote the song The Look of Love, performed by Dusty Springfield. I just want to talk about that a little bit. Um, it's actually... It's definitely not a traditional Bond score. It's very sort of 60s, very borderline, not necessarily psychedelic, but 60s kind of poppy sure. uh, music that you'd expect of the time. And it's it's somewhat catchy. I can still kind of hum the, the Bond theme. The dun, 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 You know, it, 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 they replay that theme enough or it gets stuck in your head. And then The Look of Love, that song, which I had heard for the first time in, actually, Austin Powers. <laughs> um, the Look of Love, which um, which very influenced by the, the Bond series, obviously. Yeah. And, you know, it's they're catchy I, songs. I'm not going to deny it. I it doesn't... I believe, it sort of feels like James Bond, The Look of sure. Love. I believe The Look of Love has also won like, some sort of award as well. Like, uh, I, you, you can... Um, you know. It was nominated for the Academy Award, okay. but I don't know if it won. Sure. So, I mean, at least that. Like, out of everything that we saw in this movie, at least something was working. And I think you're right. The music, again, it's not quite like you mentioned traditional, but it does hit the tone of uh, the type of music you would hear in a Bond film. Um, so, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because, honestly, it's one of the strongest points of the entire <laughs> film. Yeah. I just, yeah, that's a good song. And then when you go to the 2006 film... I just wanted to throw it out there because he's one of my favorite singers, Chris, Chris Cornell, Cornell, doing the, the the title song, You Know My Name. I didn't know, or I guess I'd forgotten since I had seen it, that he actually did the song. And I was like, oh, dip, that's so Chris yeah. Cornell. I was yeah. just so happy to hear his voice. Um, so as a Soundgarden and Audio Slave fan, I'm just really happy to hear some Chris Cornell and some it's such, it's such a good Bond song, man. Like it. He, he nailed it, dude. Like, yeah. uh, rest in peace, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm so happy I got to see Soundgarden live. That's awesome, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, they toured with Nice Nails. I'm huge Nice Nails fan. <laughs> so that, was, that was a great uh, show to see. And, uh, yeah, just, uh, yeah, rest in peace, Chris Cornell. Great song. Great song. Yeah, because, like, these movies, look, they're referential to each other. The songs get a little, like, goofy sometimes. But, like, this particular series, and, I mean, Cornell is... Um, I was reading some trivia. He's the first American to do the opening credits of a uh, James Bond um, movie. Are you sure? Didn't they do a Jack White and Alicia Keys song? This is the first um, first one because it's the first movie. What did uh, the the oh op- Quantum of Solace is what they did? Okay, yeah, okay, okay. Yeah. No, my bad, my bad. No, it's okay. But like, he he's the first one to do a song. Louis Armstrong did a song for uh, oh. James Bond before, but it was a uh, closing credit, not an opening. Oh, okay. And then, uh, yeah, I know Shirley Manson sang one, but she's she's Scottish, so... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, cool. I, I, yeah, that's right. Quantum Solace came out after so, this. 
Yeah. Or that's I I thought uh, for some reason I thought the Jack White and Alicia Keys one was a Pierce Brosnan one. It's pretty, uh, pretty good song. I mean, um, the most recent songs have been really good, and Adele did Skyfall, uh, from what I remember. And, oh, cool. Yeah, like music is really important in the James Bond universe. It's yeah, uh, absolutely. It's definitely says it's out. And then like that Chris Cornell song, you know my name. It what well, you didn't hear the song in the movie, but you you heard that melody, mm-hmm. uh, the motif of it played throughout the film. So yeah. that, that was really cool. You actually don't hear the James Bond theme until the very end of the movie, um, sort of when he finally delivers that line. Who are you, Bond? James Bond, and then Bennett, Bennett. <laughs> yeah, that's some good shit, man. Uh, which you don't hear at all in the '67 film. Yeah, so, makes sense. I mean. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense, man. <laughs> we'll get there. Is there anything else you want to talk about, Reggie, uh, in these two films? I think I'm kind of, yeah, kind of there. I think we got it. I mean, like, ultimately, like, I, I just did kind of derail in the conversation in this last segment. I mean, we'll do it again. But uh, yeah, you have a movie that's trying to make fun of the genre, so we have to take into account that that's the goal, and you know, adjust for that. Versus a movie that's squarely trying to say, I know you love this franchise. I know you love Roger Moore, Pierce Bronson, Sean Connery. There's uh, there's other people. I again, I, I'm not that big of a Bond nerd. I don't remember everybody. But um, Tim Dalton. Dalton. Yep. <laughs> Dalton and uh, that George or Greg something like the one guy. Like he he split a, um, a movie with Connery. It was like Connery that guy. Then they brought Connery back. Um. Anyway, long story short, to say that like this reboot had some big shoes to fill, and I think that they tonally chose to make choices to uh, to give it that film its own leeway and not have to be scrutinized necessarily against these other films. So, I mean, we're literally talking about one movie that wants you to reference all the other films uh, in its own very unique way, in a movie that yeah, yeah, yes, this is Bond, but hold on, this is how we're going to do it. And uh, there's two separate goals here, so we should say that before we get into, I think, where we're going. All right, fair enough. Um, so I don't know how to necessarily phrase this, because I, I know the answer of should the remake exist. I'm almost thinking, like, should the 67 film exist let's, at this point? Um, let's, let's just ask if, if both the films should exist for a change. All right. Okay, so let's phrase it like that. Reggie, should either of these Bond films, based on this first outing of Bond, exist? Yeah, so um, we're going to start with the remake. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Surprise, surprise. Surprise, surprise. This remake, um, uh, like we mentioned, Daniel Craig's performance in the Lair Cake kind of cemented the fact that he would be the the new Bond. He's had his own struggles with his role in in terms of basically he's tired of doing it. (laughs) Uh, yeah. <laughs> but we can't let him go because he's so damn good at it. And this was it, man. Like 2006, I remember when this came out. I remember the first five minutes of this movie. I watched it again this morning. Uh, like mm-hmm. that black and white scene when he takes the guy's bullets and he shoots him and he's beating people up and he's on a crane and he's like, just, you know, throws the guy's gun at his head. Like ah, this, he catches the gun, <laughs> catches it, throws it at him. Uh, shoots up the embassy like a like a fucking lunatic, <laughs> kills a guy in a staircase while his chick's watching. You know what I mean? Like this, this guy is the man. And and then 
it doesn't just sit in those action moments either. And even in like the downtime, they find a way to make that tension work. Like, how many movies have you watched where someone's played cards and you're like, oh my god, can we please move on? Like this movie actually like it's paced really well for a fairly uh, uh, decently length film. Um, I I don't honestly like I try to say I like other Bond movies better, but like this might be my favorite James Bond movie. It, I think it is because like I tried to rewatch from Russell with Love and I was like I remember liking this and I was like eh, it's kind of dog shit <laughs> you know it, it was good at the time but like Daniel Craig is James Bond uh, Vesper as played by Green she she really stepped up to the plate and became one of the iconic Bond girls and a Bond girl that stepped out of uh, the the general mold of just kind of like the damsel in distress she's on par with James Bond. Judy Dench is a fucking treasure. Um, Mads Michelson's a great Bond villain. The music's good. Chris Cornell just knocks it out of the park. <laughs> Off the gate, that guy from Westworld, whose name I should remember. <laughs> Jeffrey Wright. <laughs> Jeffrey Wright is awesome. Uh, an alumni, as you mentioned. <laughs> and, like, what? Could you make a better James Bond movie? I don't think you can. And um, I don't think there's a lot of people that are going to argue with me. Uh, about that like sure you could like individual bonds and you can have your preference of like how your bonds portray but no one can deny that Daniel Craig just stepped into an iconic role made it his own and was just like yeah this is how James Bond's done now like great movie the original no (laughs) No. Um, I, I know what happened like in 1960 they got the rights and they were trying to do it Sort of like they were doing the other films. Um, they couldn't get it done in the same studio. Clearly, like you mentioned, they have problems with the star stars of the film. For a parody movie to work, like Austin Powers works, right? We can all admit that. Right. It works because it finds a tone, sticks with the tone, and it does it over the course of three films um, actually pretty well. This movie is like seven different movies rolled into one. There are people that show up, that disappear, that that look like they matter and they don't matter. And um, honestly, in a lot of ways, the movie's actually grosser than the thing that it's trying to say is gross. <laughs> like I said, I, look, the Sean Connery years were not great for women in film, but like <laughs> being a Bond girl actually meant something. And it still does today. This movie is trying to make fun of it and doesn't even accomplish the goal of elevating anyone. Like it's it just, it's, it's a poor, it's a poor portrayal. Woody Allen, um, uh, you know, he's doing Woody Allen stuff, but it, it's not its not that great. It's just a really bad movie that probably shouldn't exist, and anything that they're trying to say about the series is completely lost because it doesn't even, like, it doesn't even hold a candle to the stuff it's making fun of, man. Like, it's just yeah. not a very good movie. Yeah. Uh, I guess I'll start with the 2006 film, too. I mean, there's not much I can really add that you haven't already said. I'm sort of the uh, outsider here, I'm not a huge Bond guy. I remember watching the 2006 film and thinking it was okay. I remember seeing the trailers and going, oh, it looks awesome. But then when I actually saw it, I was like, mm. I was like, it, it was a lukewarm reception. Um, maybe because I'm older and just no film better, or maybe because I'm closer to Bond's age, but I appreciate it more now. And I'm just like, I was, I was like I said, I watched it. Oh, I got to do some pull-ups after watching him fucking with the shirt off. And I was like, 
watching it, I'm like, oh, let me pour a scotch and sit more, a little more upright, <laughs> like yeah. this guy. You know, um, so yeah, it's a great portrayal of Bond. It's, it's a solid story overall. The action sequences may be a little bit long for my liking. I feel like eh, maybe we can shorten that a little bit. It does have a long runtime. Um, so does the 67 film. But that's a parody. That's a, that's a comedy. When your comedy's over two hours, ooh, you better be a funny movie. You better be a funny movie. And uh, 67 film, you are not a funny movie. I, I think I might have smiled maybe two times. <laughs> I, I definitely didn't laugh out loud uh, watching the 67 film. The, the 67 film is just complete disaster. It's I said this word before, disjointed. It is so disjointed. There's no cohesion anywhere. You jump from one scene to the next, and you're so lost. I had to be on Wikipedia just to like follow. Like, why are we here now? Why am I in Scotland now? Why am I in this weird casino now? I, it was so confusing. When you have that many sort of hands, just like you know, making different things happen, I'm gonna get lost because you guys weren't communicating together or something. I, I didn't understand it. Um, I appreciate a good parody. Uh, but when I'm not exactly sure what the parody is, and we have a problem, like I, I kind of got like, okay, James Bond is oversexed, but we don't really go there because we're oversexing this movie at the same time, right. and then it's like James Bond has too many gadgets, but then we also have stupid gadgets at the same. I, what is the parody? I, I'm so confused, right. and um, it's just a bad film that <laughs> had way too much money to get. A good cast because it is quite the ensemble. Sure, you know you got you got fucking you got Woody Allen, you got Sellers is no cat. no slouch, you know. Yeah, Sellers he, he was the Pink Panther guy. You have one of the original Bond girls in your film, uh, obviously Orson Welles. I mean, technically is, one of the Bond girls. I mean, Ursula Andress yeah. is like top ten easily, you know. Yeah. So it's like you got this amazing cast and maybe there was a script that was good, but I don't know what happened <laughs> to, to even for somebody to even go, yeah, that'll be a good movie. And this broke bank back in the day. This made a lot, a lot of, of money. money. Lot this of could money. have had a shitty sequel. <laughs> Thank God it didn't. Yeah. Uh, it's, just a, it's, a, it's just a terrible film. It's one of the worst films I've ever seen, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was checking the clock every five minutes. You texted me when you were watching this, like, holy shit, this is bad. <laughs> like like I said before, we don't really text each other unless the movie's really unbearable. Right. And this is one of those instances when we had to do that. Uh, the 67 film, you do not need to watch, unless you're watching it with the caveat, knowing it's a disaster with different directors, knowing... The lead actor kind of had a tantrum and didn't want to film anymore. Knowing that going into it, you might have a bigger appreciation for it. But I didn't know any of that going into it. And I, I felt like I was in pain the whole time. So, in summation, 67 film, goddamn disaster. Fuck that piece of shit. Yep. 2006 film, two thumbs up from this guy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, uh, I know this was my recommendation. Uh, but I really didn't have a frame of reference for Casino Royale. I knew it was like off, like I had heard that it was different, and I guess I learned that it was different. Maybe if there's a drinking game, go find that, and I'm sure you <laughs> might find some joy here. But uh, yeah, it's just uh, it's a shame because, um, you know, there's ways to take down this genre, but unfortunately, like, look, if you want to take down of uh, James Bond, 
go for Austin Powers. You know? It's yeah. It's, honestly, it's it's a you better got the same. Up. You got the soundtrack too yeah. from that '67 film, so why not? It's just uh, you know, like a movie like Austin Powers consistently knows what its tone is and is able to actually give you a cohesive, actually kind of like real story while making fun of something completely different. And like, I know people um, who didn't even realize that that was a uh, a parody. You know, the Austin Powers film. Uh, because, again, they're not James Bond people, so they're like, oh, I didn't even know they were referencing something else. Mm-hmm. So, like, if your movie can stand alone, yeah, it's a good movie. If your movie can't stand alone, it's a bad movie. So, right. uh, the movie does not stand alone without knowing not at all. way too much about uh, the <laughs> 60s films. Which, at this point, too, I mean, from 60 to 67, I mean, the worst James Bond movie at this point is Thunderball? Like, what? So you had Dr. No from Russia with Love in Goldfinger? You're going to make fun of that? How? <laughs> How? These, these are like wildly popular like movies that, again, uh, tonally may not hold up because of the misogyny and all that shit. But like, as films, they still hold up. They're actually like decent movies that you can watch right now on Amazon Prime. Except for Dr. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I... This, we usually say whether the remake should exist I, I, again I, I don't it's not really a remake because I hope to god nobody makes a remake of this original film because oh, I, I don't want to have to do it for a future episode yeah yeah no uh, this falls in the category my bad <laughs> I didn't know it was going to be this bad <laughs> yeah I was I kept texting you like Reggie the, the, the description keeps saying uh, spy parody are you sure this is the one you, yeah <laughs> like okay but what, what I did kind of enjoy about this exercise as it were is that um we got to do something a little bit different than what we uh, normally do. Yeah. Uh, this was a bit of a challenge for us to try to, like, make two things that are not really related. Right. Uh, this was a bit of a challenge for us. Oh, to no, make- no. I was just, I was just yeah, comparing okay. one to one. That's yeah. what I was doing. Sorry. That was my gesture. Sorry. Sorry. No, it's all good. But uh, we, you know, we're in a position where we're trying to make two things that don't fit work. And um, I'm sure this won't be the last time, but I think this may actually be the most pronounced example of that that i think we may run into and if we run into something like this again uh at least we're prepared after uh <laughs> this debacle <laughs> <laughs> all right well that's all i gotta say about this uh let's figure out what we're doing for the next episode i think we talked about this already by the time the next episode gets released it's going to be christmas time so let's talk about some Christmas remakes, and I think the one that's on the top of our list is Miracle on 34th Street. Absolutely. So for our next episode, it's Christmas time. Miracle on 34th Street. Um, not going to say anything about either film, so <laughs> let's just kind of cap it there. All right, well, that was our review of the Casino Royale films. If there's anything that um, we missed, anything you disagree with, um, to absolutely let us know in the comments. Um, you can, f- you know, or reach out to us on the social medias. We're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all those things. Uh, if you're listening to us on iTunes, if you can give us a five-star review, that would be much appreciated. Absolutely. And uh, as always, check out the Spotify too. Uh, <laughs> as always, I'm Reggie Parker. You can find me at RP Comedy on Twitter or Instagram. All right. Uh, thanks again for list- stopping by and listening. Uh, this has been another episode of Retro, Retro versus, versus Remake. remake.